so. Any dreams? Anybody want to share any dreams? It's all right. We had upset bellies from all that tofu. Uh-huh. I, I can't eat this healthy. I'm just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> we all took charcoal last night. We're like, those falafel bowls. It's hard to digest when you're not used to it. I usually eat pretty healthy with well, tofu is actually very cooling. That's one of the things that people don't realize. So when you're having tofu, that's why in traditional Japanese, Chinese cultures, they actually add ginger, garlic, and onions to it to warm it up. So it's a very cold food. So just that's a nice trick to help digest it if you're ever stuck outside. Um, just so you, maybe you cook with it, which sounds unlikely, but you should never, no, I cook with it. You should never eat it raw, then. Yeah, it's you super. You always just bring it to the boil and then let it cool because it really... It's very, it's very cooling food. Welcome to Abby's cooking show. <laughs> did you have a dream? I did, and I didn't write it down, and it was pretty profound. Okay. But I can't it. It's all right. When you're doing the kind of work that we're doing, that's what I was saying when we started a couple of days ago. It's just the energy of sitting in it. It's really profound. If we really trusted it and we just sat here, which we don't, a lot of things would shift. So just the fact that you remember it's a profound dream. Hold that space. And I say to all of you, be aware, as much as you've opened up this weekend, there's going to be that counter pull where you're going to want to run and fill this up with activity, with caretaking, calling that ex that was really a jerk and, ah, oh, I really miss you, is this real pull to force this stuff away. Because that idealized self-image that we talked about is really threatened. That make sense? Now, I want to start with the breathing. I'm, I'm uh, dyslexic, so I might have said this wrong, and correct me if I did. That Nadi Shodan that we talked about, I was doing it one way, but I might have said a different way. How we do that, I want to do it again today. We start with that, 10 rounds of that. Make a fist. Two, the little finger and the ring finger stick out, and the thumb sticks out. Block off the right nostril. Breathe out the left. Breathe in the left. Block up the nostril, breathe out the right, breathe in the right, block the right nostril, breathe out the left. That's one round. Nice and gentle, but steady. Breathe in the left, block the left nostril, breathe out the right. Breathe in the right, block the right nostril, breathe out the left. Second round. Do this eight more times, nice and steady. Keep your neck straight.
pay attention to your throat. Say a couple of words. Feel how your throat opened up. So, how you doing? it's a really good practice. Remember what we talked about in terms of Chinese medicine. What ends up happening in stress is that that liver chi, what the Chinese consider liver chi, gets stuck. And there's this thing called plump pit throat, where the actual energy gets stuck in the throat, which is why your voice gets very tight. So when you say in English language, we say beautifully, someone's very livery. It means that liver energy gets tight. Diet affects that liver energy, caffeine, stress affects it. One of the most simple things that releases it is breathing, abdominal breathing, this kind of breathing. So whenever you catch yourself getting really uptight, a little anxious from work, literally, just take a couple of these breaths. You can just do regular breathing. The beauty of this breath, like I told you yesterday, is that it actually synchronizes the two lobes and cleanses everything. <clears throat> so remember, it starts on the left. You breathe out the left, you breathe in the left, breathe out the right, breathe in the right, and breathe out the left, that's one cycle. And the trick is to keep the inhalation exhalation the same amount, so you can actually count it. You shouldn't be starving for breath. With time, you can actually do it for quite a long amount of time. And if you're interested, to me, pranayama is such a powerful technology. Um, not to put asanas on, as you know, with yoga, I talk about this in the book, you know, there's eight branches, meditation, asanas, breathing, blah, blah, blah. And in this culture, of course, the one that what everybody does is asanas. There's a lot of lip service given to meditation and to the breathing, but we don't do it because the asanas makes your body look great. And we're so hyper-individuated that way we want to look a certain way. This stuff actually softens you. So I want to get into relationships, but I want to finish up the stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of days. One of the important things is to start where you are, not to have dogma. So what do you really know? Really, take an honest inventory with yourself. You know, people can say, well, you know, in past lives. Well, someone like that who's done thousands of past life regressions, she has direct experience of it. For her, it's a real thing. She has memories of it. Some of you might hear or might not. If you don't have direct experience of it, it's not true to you. Some of you might have these awakening experiences where you feel like, oh, we're really all one. If you've had that experience, wonderful. If you don't, don't act like you do, right? There's this saying in Chinese that if you pick up the master carpenter's tool and you don't know how to use it, you're going to cut yourself very deeply. So that's really true. This is what really cracks me up. You know, the Bill Mars of this world, the people who are atheists, they think they're really like hip and cool. They're as crazy as the Taliban. You know, the most honest people are agnostics, really. Because they're like, I don't know. That's honest. I love when I meet these atheists who have the same brand. But they want to kill you like the Taliban wants to kill you. Because that guy really believes that you know, men should rule the world. And they should have beards and bald heads. And if they don't, you should die. So always remember the shadow works on both ways. But since it's intellectualness, we're in Cologne. Oh, it's different. It's the same bullshit. Start where you are. The most important thing in any practice that you're doing is how open is your heart afterwards. If you're getting cocky, if you're getting tight, if you're getting heady, your heart's not open. The bottom line is that. It's really that simple. Make sure that the practice that you're doing is opening your heart. Make sure in your relationships, your heart's opening. If you're in a relationship where constantly everything's getting tight, something's up. Doesn't mean you need to leave, doesn't mean you have to, it just means examine and go to the next level. Now, we were talking outside before, and you know, everyone has this sense that something's coming. 
something's changing, right? People have this general sense. Maybe we're crazy, maybe it's just the people in this room, maybe you've been hit in the head too many times. The apocalypse thing, everyone talks about the apocalypse, the apocalypse. It's very interesting where that word comes from. It comes from the Greek, Greek word apocalypse, which means an unveiling. It doesn't mean mayhem, it doesn't mean 2012, it doesn't mean maggots and infestations. It means an unveiling. That's all it means. So there is an unveiling going on, right? There is a reason why all you people gave up this weekend and came and sat your ass down in a place that's not very pleasant. Why now? Maybe this has been done all the time, but there is an urgency because we all know something's coming up. So answer that call by sitting with yourself a couple of minutes a day. You don't want to do yoga. You don't want to do tai chi. You don't, no, don't have to do it. It's very simple. Don't get caught up. There are tons of great recipes out there. No one's cooking them and everyone's starving. Right? So whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Christianity, just putting on their robes doesn't make you a great practitioner. Make sure you're cooking something every day. And really the breath is so simple. Right? There's no dogma attached to it. It's just sit down and just do the breathing. But do it. And if you don't do it for five minutes, like the story that you were saying yesterday about that Buddhist teacher that teaches here 10 years and says, hey, who's meditating? No one does it. Observe why you don't do it. It's the most difficult thing because we're anxious all the time. All the running around is to cover up that anxiety. So if you take two things from this place, is remember you're anxious underneath all the time. Do something about it. Now, before we move on, anybody have anything to say about what we covered? Anything you want to share? Um, one thing that I thought might be helpful is if we do exercises, I think some people talk, it might be helpful to go, go around the room. Because I'd love, I love to hear it. from more people. I love it. Start with you. <laughs> well, I'm a talker. I've been sharing everything. Really. Okay, but it, well, no, I'm, I'm not putting you on the spot. Do you want to share anything, and then we'll go around? No, I'm not holding anything. I, I really. I, I yeah, was, yeah. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying, is there anything, yeah. any, anything you want to share? Anything from your experience? Where you hide? What you where do? I hide. Mm. Where I hide. All right. <laughs> well, that's a big question. Okay. Well, in, in a short answer, where do you hide? All I can think of is I eat too much. Okay. <laughs> when I got nervous, after the first night, it was so funny, we all ran to the fridge. We had all had this big dinner, but after the first night of the workshop, I found myself eating it. I was like, what are you doing? Well, eating actually usually is a reaction. Yeah, it was a reaction. To the hiding. Ah, okay. So the hiding can be caretaking. The hiding can be yeah, not paying no, attention to your needs. By caretaking, yes. Okay. I do do that. Okay. And that's come out. Same question? Yeah. Where do I hide? Yeah. Um, I, I hide in uh, being cerebral, mm. um, anger. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very aware of my anxiety, so um, I'm very aware of my shadow. I'm sure there's a lot more under that. I find that it's not anger or the Pandora's ills of the world that I'm afraid of. It's the love. Mm. It's love. It's beautiful. Love. We're going to get into that. Beautiful. We're all, we're all, that's, well, these two things so far, that's all of us. Right? The eating thing, either not eating or stuff in our face, we all do that. 
the anorexic thing, the overeating, that's a, because what's the first thing that really, the way you get love is through food. So that's very common for all of us, and it goes either way, which is a control thing, lack of control thing. And what she's talking about is we're all deathly afraid of love. I have not met one person who's not afraid of love. People run after relationships, they're in relationships, they're in and out of relationships. We can't hold love. When I was a kid, when I was telling you about those kids that were starving in Nigeria, it's an amazing thing when kids are starving. You try to give them food, they actually throw it up. They can't hold the food. That's us. So we can sit and we have all this food in front of us. We haven't learned to tolerate the food. Part of the work that we're doing here is to learn to tolerate love. It's very difficult to tolerate love. Easy to be a victim, easy to be a perpetrator. Very hard to just hold that neutral space and tolerate love and not puke it up. Put it, put, put, it, put it on there. Go ahead, Gio. I just get really quiet. Mm. I freeze up. And, mm. Or I get really busy. Mm. <laughs> so everybody can relate to that too, right? The holding, the quiet thing is very powerful. And we get a lot of control out of being quiet. The very interesting thing I've realized about people that are quiet, you become very mysterious. So then people are like, wow, like, is, he a, is he a sage? Is he a psycho? Like, I want to get to know this guy. It's interesting. <laughs> My wife has that. She's very quiet. She holds back. And it's an energy. It's, not, you know, you, it's part of a character. It's not that it's a character flaw, but it's amazing how people react to it. So there is this unconscious pleasure that comes out of it, neg negative pleasure. The busyness, I mean, who here can't relate to that? One of the things I force myself to do once in a while because I live half the time in a city, half the time in a country. So I have my cars in the garage, my bikes that I wrench on, and there's a lot of stuff to do in the yard. There are times where I actually force myself to sit on the couch and not go out. And it's like a freaking prison sentence. Oh, my God. It gets really easy after the first hour. But that hour, I'm just like, like i got to have shackles. I want to wear my dog's electric collar just so if I go outside, I get zanked. That's how anxious we all are. And that's all of us, right? So... So good practice to take with you is maybe five or ten minutes when you, not on a day when you're working, but on a Saturday, Sunday when you don't have to run out. Force yourself just to lay there without thinking, without just be like, why am I anxious? The wild thing about the anxiety is once you sit with it, it lifts. It's a really crazy thing. That's why meditation, like it's so hard, it's so hard it lifts. If you just recognize that like, I'm anxious, it actually softens. Um, I had a perfectionism. Mm. Well, let's let's stay with her. We'll, we'll come around. Okay. Um, what you're saying there—that's the idealized self-image. Mm -hmm. So that starts at that very young age where you have to do that tap dance, <clears throat> and if you don't do it because your parents are so scared. So the fact that you can verbalize that, understand, you're like way down the road. That's beautiful. And it's a lifetime of work. So one thing I would say to you, because I totally have that in me, because that's how I survived my childhood, be messy. Practice being messy. 
One day when you get up, don't shower. So, well, but, but practice it. So whatever your thing is, if your table is where your super analyst comes out, if your floor is where your super analyst comes out, wherever that thing is, for me, it's my bikes. My bikes, you can eat off of them. You know, I've been a racer since I was 11 years old. To me, like, that's my mecca. But sometimes I just won't wash my bike for a week. It is so hard. I know it sounds stupid. Like, what do you mean? It's so hard. I'm like, and my wife just laughs at me. Like, oh, you're, you're dying now, aren't you? Yeah. So take one thing. Sim these things are simple, but they're not. And being perfect with it. So that'd be a great practice for you. But it's a great practice for all of you. And those of you that walk around cleaning. I had a mother that was, I remember in college doing psychology and Freud was talking about, yeah, me and Freud used to be really good buddies. <laughs> My teacher was talking about, about Freudian analysis and about analism and what Freud was talking about, this cleaning complex. And I remember being like, like somebody just gave me the gift of the divine. Like, wow, there is a name for this craziness. Because my mother, you can actually do surgery. It's that clean. I'm not joking. So it's this thing of nonstop cleaning, which is that same thing of the anxiety coming out. So my mother would never do it because she'd probably die. But I'd love to get my mother and throw a bunch of pasta water on the stove and just let it hang for a week. She'd have a coronary. I'm not joking. Because the outside, because the outside and inside. So for you, take one thing that you super are orderly about and let it be unorderly. Don't do your laundry for a week. Something. It's amazing how that stuff comes up. It's good practice. What about you? I know you're perfect, but besides that. Just in so many ways, but um, I would say numbness mm. is uh, traditionally my favorite way of hiding one mm. form or another. It can mm. be my mind's in oblivion or smoking pot or mm. drinking or, mm. you know, whatever. But, uh, that's our culture, right? I mean, that's also, I mean, who can't relate to that? The numbness thing we all do, and one of the things that I was talking about in the book is how people actually even will use spirituality to do that, right? Go and go and go on this workshop, that workshop, I've got to do an hour of yoga, then I'll do this, and I'll do a couple of hours of martial arts. The numbness thing, we're all numb. You cannot be numb and not the way the world is now. That's a reflection of our numbness. It's, we're responsible for that. Yeah, well. Beautiful. Sit with yourself. And once in a while, have a week, have a day, have a couple of days, especially when you want to drink, don't drink, don't smoke pot. Really don't do it when you really want to do it, and then do it when you don't care. That's one thing that's for me is a practice with things. When I really want to do something, I've got to really examine and see what's underneath it. Let the feeling come up. And you know what? Maybe you have a really big business deal the next day, and really that's not the day to do it because you're going to go under and blow it. So have your beer that night, next day after that practice. Remember how the unconscious works. The unconscious wants to make sure that you keep your shit. So you will practice that the day before the big business meeting. So you'll fuck up the business meeting. So you go, see what happens? This is what happens when you're not numb. It's very interesting how that works. Uh, can we just say our names so sure. that I know who I'm listening to? Sure. Amanda. Patty. Gia. Amy. Dean. Michelle. Trevor. Rhonda. Graham Reaper. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Go on. Um, okay, I would say that I have so many issues, but um, <laughs> I think fear is the biggest thing I'm dealing with right now. Kind of, I, I guess in my life I've had a couple of experiences where like the door cracks open and I see that there's something on the other side, consciousness-wise. And last time I 
started to step through it, my whole life fell apart. I got mm -hmm. divorced and literally all the relationships that I had nurtured throughout my life literally fell apart. Um, so now I'm, I'm, I'm taking stock of kind of the relationships I have around me and I, I'm, I'm fearing losing them by kind of stepping more into um, not just spiritual practice, but being open about my experiences as well and stepping into like a new phase of my life because, and I feel myself resisting that mm -hmm. and wanting to kind of stay being like a normal person. Mm -hmm. um, but I, you know, I can't stop being a daughter or a friend or a mother and all these, um, you know, girlfriend. So it's, it's one of those things that I kind of like last time that I got my ass kicked. So mm. I'm just kind of feeling myself resisting that. So, but it has to be. So what do you do with that? How do you work with that? Um, I think that I have to just honor that because what did, and remember what happened last time were the things that burned away gave way to new things, you know, arriving and kind of allowing the people around me to have their own path. Because I kind of feel like I'm holding things together. I'm kind of holding, and that's the caretaker as well. Um, and it's also the, like you are saying, the idealized self. Like I, oh, I'm spiritual. Like I'm nice to everybody where I'm not caring for me. So like I said, it's, but I start to take a step forward and there's just the fear is like overwhelming. So... I'm just, I guess, confronting it and letting it be. But. Beautiful. Ask for help. Yeah. A great prayer for you, intent for you every day when you wake up. It's ask to receive without doing. See what that feels like. Okay. Right? We, we, we're all whores. We, we whore ourselves. We don't understand that we're drowning in this thing. We think we've got to do a tap dance for it. Yeah. It's your birthright. Not in some crappy new agey way that you're going to get a Mercedes Benz, although I hope you do. <laughs> I, I think a Beamer for you more than a Benz. But... Um, <laughs> It's we think we have to tap dance. We don't think that, we don't believe at all, it's all words, that we actually are worthy. We all tap dance. Remember what we talked about yesterday, whether you're a narcissist or have low self-esteem, it's the same thing. You think you have to be in struggle. It's all good. Um, I had it in like solitude, I shut down, like things get too tough, I get really quiet, um, don't communicate what I'm expressing and just So your solution is right next to you. So your solution is next time just pick up the phone. Even if you want to go out and do some martial arts or you want to go out to the range, pick up the phone and actually say, you know what, I'm actually feeling really overloaded right now and I'm going to check out by doing this. Just saying that will transform everything. And it sounds so simple, even if she doesn't pick up the phone since you don't live near each other and she, just the answering machine, just make yourself vulnerable by that. It's really profound. Right? I mean, you're a very wise soul. It's all in you. It's just a matter of taking those actions. But if we don't take those actions, it doesn't matter how wise we are. And remember, it always magnifies. <laughs> it always magnifies, and she's bigger than you. She's going to kick your ass. She's taller than you, so... The, the reach. Oh, my gosh, she's still got the reach on your ass, so I'm just saying. <laughs> what about you? I also 
I want this, I crave this being recognized, and I can't have that when I'm alone. Mm. We said, we talked about it yesterday, I think I hide the most in public mm. when I don't like to make eye contact with people. Mm. So what we talked about yesterday, that same thing of making eye contact, not necessarily with the homeless guy that's got a knife in his hand, because that's what the unconscious is going to want to do, is be like, see, every time you make eye contact, somebody's crazy. But practice, like even around this room, because mm-hmm. I've been noticing how your gaze has been down. These are safe people. So for the rest of the day while we're here, just look around and make eye contact. Everyone here is really lovely, except for me. Go ahead. <laughs> Caretaking, for sure, and there's a lot of um, control in that too. Mm. You know, so I have a lot of control, um, so it makes me feel safe. Mm. But you know, about caretaking, sometimes I get confused because you know we're talking about this idealized self, mm-hmm. and you know, spiritually speaking, whatever. I mean, a lot of times you want to do things for other people because you think it's the right thing to do and mm-hmm. you might not want to do it mm-hmm. and th- that's like ego mm-hmm. so sometimes there's a I mean how do you you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying the way is I haven't heard you speak about your experience first how are you feeling? Danny goes about what do you want to do for other people so first you have to come first that's very hard for a caretaker so if you're not feeling aligned, if you're getting fatigued by that action, that's what we were talking about yesterday, intention and action. If the action is making, the inten- the, you, know, f- making you fatigued, the intention is coming from caretaking, if you're at a loss at it, it doesn't help anyone. Right? You have to take care of yourself first. Externally looking, you're helping me. Someone goes, oh, she's so lovely, she's helping Abdi. But you go home and you're exhausted. You're not helping me, you're not helping you. On the highest level, people got to really help themselves. So you have to go back. This is just a smoke. You've got to go to the fire. Where is the fire where you felt responsible for other people? Right? Where, is the, where, where did that start? At what age did that start where you had to do this tap dance of caretaking? Self-care is taking care of other people. If I get a good night's sleep last night, I'm taking care of all of you because I can come here and be here more. If I'm running around treating some homeless shelter and come here all exhausted, even though I did this great work last night, I'm not serving you. You understand? Help taking care of yourself comes first. For a caretaker, that's like speaking, I'm sure you're looking at me like I'm speaking Chinese. Like, what the hell are you talking about? So I would define. Doesn't the ego undermine that? Undermine what? Your desire to help. What do you mean? Tell me, go more into it. Well, I mean, can't, can't your ego just sort of pull you away from, you know, rationalize how you shouldn't do it? You know, I mean, you're talking about a deeper way of knowing. I'm talking about a deeper way of knowing. Right now, if you... Sometimes that's confusing. It's always confusing. You have to make friends with it. You have this little girl that's coming into your life after 50 years. You don't know her. So you have to make friends with her. If we're going to say that this little girl is going to walk in, you met her first 50 years ago, and you're going to be best buddies, we'd be bullshitting each other. It's hard. So this is the part of sitting with yourself. This is the breathing thing we're talking about. Sit a couple of minutes a day and see how you're feeling. So what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling from you, I'm feeling exhaustion. I'm feeling a little bit of friction inside of you. Sit with it and see where that's coming from. Sometimes it's very righteous too. If you, you know, help someone else, that's beautiful. Why is helping someone else is beautiful? If you forget yourself. 
That's the gift of giving. But if you're giving so much and you don't know who you are, it's not really working. So you have to define that. Where are the places in your life where you take care of yourself? We all hide. Right? We think going to a massage is taking care of ourselves. It might be. It might be another way of hiding. Getting a facial might be another way of hiding. So what I want to hear from you is how do you take care of yourself? What does that look like? First start there. Once you know that, then you can go to like trying to figure out where helping others or not helping others. But yes, you're right. The ego is very tricky and this stuff is very tricky. Sit with yourself and see how you're feeling. For example, you have a neighbor that's broken their leg and you want to help them every day. Sit with yourself. So you've had to take care of your family or a friend. You're too tired that day. You go in there and helping that person is not helping anyone. Because you're pissed off. You don't want to do it. You feel like you got to do it. It feels good because you're a control freak. We all are. So we want to make it look good. Then we come home and then we punish everyone in our household. And then we get more pissed. So we get more controlling. It's a very vicious circle. And remember, people are falling apart right now. So because they're falling apart, there's a lot of place to start taking care of people. You can't do that. People really have to step up and do their own work right now. Great question. Opposite of being a, care, a caretaker is someone who gives self-care and then from that place of self-care decides to give care to others or not. So it's not an opposite. It's you have victim-perpetrator. I fall apart. I need to be taken care of. I'm really strong, hide underneath the caretaker. If someone is actually in balance and then sometimes they can fall apart, have people take care of them, sometimes they step up and let people and take care of people. That's a very rare thing. You're not responsible for other people. You'll always fuck up if you try to take care of other people. That's a given. You're not responsible for anyone. You can only take care of yourself. Remember what I said about healing. It used to piss me off so much because it was such, you know, I came from this lefty family and we're responsible for the world and my dad was saving the world and I had to save the world. And I remember these people going like, you know, you really can't help people. I'd be like, you're such, what is bastard right-wing fascist? After 25 years of work, and I'm like, wow, you really can't help people. <laughs> what you can do is align yourself. Out of that alignment, be present. In that being present out of that alignment, magic happens. Anytime the posture goes forward like this, you're off balance. Anytime you pack like this, you're off balance. It's holding that posture. Yes. So, beautiful. So what you said right now is very beautiful. That's a duality. I'm responsible, I'm going to run away. So actually step out of that movie. You're not responsible, so you don't need to run away. Hold your space. You might choose to step in and do something, but you're not responsible. Right? I chose to come here and share this energy with you. I'm not responsible. I will do my best to be here and share with you what I know. It's up to you what you do with it. It didn't used to be like that. When I started 25 years ago, I'd call up, are you taking those herbs? Are you okay? What's going on? I'm such a great healer. Are you taking that diet? Are you, you want me to come? I had blind patients. I would take them home. They're like, right, let, me, let me take you home. I'll put you on the back of my bike and I'll take you home. That's crazy. That's egomaniacal. That's controlling. Looks great outside. Great feeling, man. It's awesome. Having a blind guy behind your bike. For, oh, what a nice guy. Cool. Get you laid. Chicks love it. Good. It's not good. 
So step out of that. It's beautiful what you're saying. You're not responsible. Now step back in relationship, not out of responsibility, out of what do you need? In an honest way, not in a using way. One of the things that we haven't learned is we have needs. We all have needs. Every person in this room, I don't care how poor, how rich, how much you love yourself, you, you, you all have needs. I have needs. Most of the people in this room have had to shut this need down. Right? Someone like you or someone like me who spent 30 years learning martial arts, there's a couple of nuts loose upstairs. It's great. It's a great experience. It's good. What are we defending? For me, I remember studying martial arts for a long time and being in this, I've done it since I was a young kid, and being in this really hardcore school where the teacher was like, now you have four people coming, one's got a knife, one's got a gun. I'm looking at this, I'm like, I don't really think that situation is going to happen. I've been stabbed twice. I've never had a guy with a knife and a gun and a thing come at you. That's when I was like, wow, that's my little boy. I don't care how strong I get with this stuff. I got to heal that. That's the last time I did that hardcore stuff. I went into the internal stuff. Because it doesn't end. The most killer man I've met, the most wicked martial artist who was from Java, who had actually killed many people. Because in Java, the way it was back in the day, in the 60s, they're a Muslim country. You just buy a white sheet for a couple of cents and you throw it on someone. This guy couldn't sleep at night without his lights on. The guy was like a one-man killing machine. At 65, he couldn't sleep without the lights on. You can't hide this stuff. right? So have a relationship. Figure out where that part of you, that's that duality. Because the deeper experience of that, what you're describing, is your ego using that, your unconscious using that not to be intimate. I don't want to take care, I'm going to run away. How perfect, now you don't have to be intimate. As opposed to like, what if you don't have to take, what are you going to feel like? It's going to feel very uncomfortable. Right? For me, when I finally... I'm with a woman who doesn't need me in that way. I didn't even recognize it initially. I always talk about this in my lectures. As someone who took care of my mom when I was a kid because she wasn't well. From 17, I was taking care of these women. So at 40, 41, when I finally meet someone who doesn't need me, I don't know what that's like. We'll talk about that in a little bit in a relationship. We don't know what that's like. You don't know what that's like. So one of the things that we're going to talk about in a little bit for you, especially because we talked about relationships yesterday, the next partner that comes into your life, if you recognize it, run the other way, because that's the same drama. If you're like, oh, cute, handsome, smart, I don't really know, I don't get it, but pursue that. You with me on that? If you recognize it, it means you're already there. I can recognize a junkie a million miles away. Those of you junkies in this room, you can do the same thing. Those of you got eating disorders, you can recognize an eating disorder person a mile away, right? Because we know it. So you want something different. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Are we, is there anything you want to put out there more so I can help you more with that? I love that you're confused. That's a good sign. Because the confusion means you're actually dropping into it. Because for those of us who are caretakers, not having an answer is about the hardest thing we can do. The control freak in all of us wants to know. Be in the unknown. Remember we talked about that. There's a third way. Yes, no, I don't know. The I don't know is a way that will bring with it what you're looking for, but not with the eyes that you're looking with, because your experience is one way. Right? When I'm a drug addict, I remember one of the biggest things when I stopped using drugs, and I had a healthy habit of drugs, um, was like the first couple of weeks hanging out with friends, being like, what do you guys do exactly? You actually sit around and talk and have dinner? 
A fucking bunch of losers, man. What? Because this is one of the things for all of us. We are so addicted to the extraordinary that the ordinary is just so boring to us. So you got to do three hours of asanas. You got to take care of 10 people. You got to take care of your boyfriend and then leave and come back and leave. You live in a culture that totally whores the ordinary for the extraordinary. If you follow me on that, that's why it's so amazing, whatever these shows and celebrities, and we're into that, because the ordinary is not important. Now, this is pretty ordinary. There's a group of people sitting together sharing. How good do you feel? It's okay, right? It's not that bad. How often do we do this? Never. So one of the things for you, one of the things for you, get in the habit of not just being in that extraordinary. Who are you if you're not the caretaker? That's what I said to you when we started this thing. Leave your shtick at the door. I'm sure the psychic here knows very well. Those of us, we walk into parties and we would start doing readings on people. Because that's how we got our love. We do our shtick. Because God knows, Abdi is a piece of shit if he's not doing something. So when Abdi stops doing that, then we can actually figure out who Abdi is. Abdi can figure out who Abdi is when he's not doing a shtick. All of you have that shtick. Being quiet, being psychic, being giving, teaching yoga, whatever your thing is. Watch your shtick. It's a shtick. It's not who you are. That idealized self-image, that mask, you starve underneath it. Well done. English, of course, living on an island, you do that. <laughs> but, you know, overeating, drugs, I've done it all, you know, crying. Uh, I haven't done it all, but, you know, I've got a whole list. But I, I was just thinking, I think I hide a lot in not being in relationship, even though I'm coming out of a marriage. Um, and I think I hide, this, I hide from people in, you know, I feel there's the, like, the real me, this is what I'm battling with now, it's just to let it out and just to live, as well. mm. you know, I relate to what you're saying a lot. That's actually where I hide. I, I know myself, I mean, I'm comfortable with who I am inside, but where I hide is just pretending it's not there. Mm. So, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. So hey. I'm struggling and saying, this is not bullshit, the person I give out, but it's, uh, there's a whole lot more, but it's very complicated, and I think I, I hide in simplicity. Mm. It's really beautiful what you're saying, and I'm sure we all agree that you're actually holding a lot for a lot of us because of your emoting and what you're sharing, so thank you for that. Two sides to what you're saying. On one level, it's so much more difficult when you know who you are and you're doing the shtick, right? It's more painful because you, you can see it. So someone who doesn't know who they are and they do the shtick, they're more unconscious. The beauty of it is, you know who you are, so that actually gives you a place you can go to. So you just got to choose now to stop doing the shtick. And the stuff we've talked about in the past. Yeah. It's the stuff with your ex or taking care of your ex's family. Or this is what I was telling to you, saying to you, you cannot, once you start knowing yourself, the consequences go up. Right? So we have a peace officer here. He's not going to arrest a 13-year-old kid who does something. He's going to sit down and talk to him. He's going to arrest a 30-year-old man who does the same thing, throws a punch at him. There are consequences. A 13-year-old has a different consequences than a 30-year-old. If you know yourself, you're that 30-year-old. So at some point, you've got to button down, feel the uncomfortableness of not doing a shtick, and move forward. 
Because the other part is the part of you that knows is going to start kicking your ass. Right? You're not going to throw down with a 13-year-old kid. You're going to lovingly, whatever you do. But a 30-year-old guy who's 200 pounds and comes at you, it's a different experience. So, huh? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, as I'm saying, I'm sure you have. So that, that's the thing. It's a different experience. You, you just, it's the same with our inner self. You have that part that wants to say, this is the way. Right? That's what the trooper inside of you is saying. This is the way. You cannot do 120. I'll let you go off at 75, 80, I hope. But I'm not going to let you go up at 120. So your speediness, your movement, that's doing 120. And the times are such right now. Again, remember, everything is getting ramped up. I try, sorry, I try hiding. You know, I find that's where I am now. Is I think, okay, I'm not, you know, not going to hide. And then I can see myself sort of like, oh, maybe I'm not. <laughs> Remember what we talked about. Every morning, set that intention. Yeah. Every morning, set that intention. Right? Every morning, set that intention. I'm going to do my best, and at nighttime, make sure that you're not, yeah, gone that way. So, these next couple of hours that we got, those of you that are quiet, just open your energy. You don't have to start talking. Those of you that don't keep eye contact, let's work on a little eye contact, not at the floor, but up here. Come on up. There you go. <laughs> go ahead. You. So what would it look like to you? What would an exercise that only takes a couple of minutes a day look like to you to address that? And it really, that's the only way it works. In my experience, people always come to my meditations and go, I can't believe it, you're only meditating 15, 20 minutes. Because when I tap into people, people check out after 5 or 10 minutes. They're not present. To me, the short amounts of time are actually more important. So when I say to people, this is all I teach all day long, just do 5 minutes, we've talked about it, 5 minutes. But come on, with 5 minutes, I'm like, you won't even do 5. If you can be present for 3, I'm happy. I'm just saying 5 so you can do 3. Literally do 3. Do 2. Remember, there is no time. Right? Magic happens in no time. There is no time. So this is also part of that ego. I will sit for three years in the mountain while it's cold. It's like, okay, nice ego trip. <laughs> right? We're just talking about it. We're just watching this monk walk in a city, uh, me and Philomena, and we're just watching the, the shame this man had, the way the man's posture was. The garbs don't make it. I mean, if I could, if I had a dollar for every time I've seen someone hide under spirituality, boy, mm -hmm. I'll be driving some nice cars. Go on. Well, I thought I had it all figured out when, when Amanda started talking. I, I thought I knew exactly where I did. And then I listened to uh, Gio and, 
And I hide behind every single thing that that everyone here has mentioned. And, <laughs> and I hide behind, I guess, um, my work and just keeping myself busy so that I don't have to stop and sit with myself and say, well, who am I really? Mm. And I guess in listening to everyone and just being here, um, I don't really know who I am. Mm. And um, whew, hold on. Good, good, good. No, 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 stay with it. <laughs> so it becomes very confusing. And um, this is um, one of the most um, uh, grounding and awakening just sit with the emotion. Just let the words. Beautiful. That's it's beautiful. What you're doing. No, it's all good. But it's so important for you. Just just sit with it. Just don't even talk. Just just close your eyes and go inside. And everybody else breathe and feel what she's feeling inside of you. That's what we all need to get, because that's where we all are at. What you're doing is what we all fight. All this words, yuppie, 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 it's that. Tell them the story of how you came here. I just didn't want to sit at home for the... I came... This past month has been really intense with my work. It's just work, 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 work. And it's all about do, do, do for everybody else. And, um, okay, so anyway... I just thought, wow, I actually have a weekend where I don't have to do anything for anybody. And and at the very last minute, I mean, it, re- reservation office was even closed. And I'm thinking, how else can I get through to Omega to sign up for this class? And I, and I knew nothing about this class. Um, I, I felt maybe I should know more about it because my sister and this hypnotherapist out in Washington State were doing a webinar on the shadow. And I thought, so, so I just thought, well, the, the name The Shadow was in this particular class, and I just thought, well, let me just sign up for it. I have no idea what I'm getting into. All that I knew is I just needed to be here. And you think your higher self doesn't have a sense of humor? <laughs> <laughs> this is the party that's guiding you, right? I mean, it's the party. Like, who, you don't know, and then you come to something that's really intense. Yeah. So... That part of you wants you to know. Yeah. And I do, uh, in many ways, I, I do always trust my higher self. Um, <clears throat> I think in many ways because I don't trust myself. Mm. And I, I never know where I'm going, and I never know what I'm doing. Mm. And, but, I'm, but I'm everywhere. Mm. And, and I don't want to be everywhere. I, I, want, I want to get to know me now. Love it. And just being here, it's a beautiful thing. I love it. It's a beautiful thing she said. A lot of us do the higher self thing because we don't treat ourselves. It's got to be one. It's got to become one. You can sit down. This is one of the addictions with psychics and tarot and this and that. It's very helpful when you're lost in your life. You go and say, listen. So that's that psychic saying, hey, from here I can see this. That's great. It's the same with the higher self. But you want to start living that inside of yourself more and more and more. Exactly. Yes, I want right? to start living. 
So, you don't know. You were raised in Zimbabwe. Now you've come to New York. You just act like you don't know. You just had a car accident. You got amnesia. You don't know who you are. Figure out piece by piece. Meanwhile, yeah, put the food on the table. Do what you're doing. But take the couple of minutes like we talked about and check yourself. And just figure out who you are. Whenever you ask a question on that level, the answer is there. The answer and questions are like this. It's like once one comes, the other one's attached, always. You just got to listen to it. So open up, right? People do prayer. Prayer is talking. No one, real meditation is listening. No one wants to listen. Good job on the eye contact. Go on. <laughs> what about you? She works in a financial world. She's a very, very smart person and puts together these really huge deals and works these crazy ass hours where she'll work, right? Like hours and when like these deals, it's just incredible. Really built up, really built up. So this is a classic example where we use the muscle that we have, which for her is her intelligence from our childhood wounding. And then we do great with it, right? She gets kudos all the time. There are all these big Deals that happen all the time that you read about in the paper, she's involved with it. So the ego then is like, look how great this is. But when it's at the expense of the little girl, that's when it becomes painful. Now, does it mean that she's got to cut her head off? No. Does it mean she's got to start selling hot dogs instead of doing business deals? No. Although I'm sure, <laughs> although I'm sure she considers it daily. Um, and she'll probably do really well in it. So will be back where you started. You'll have like a channel around the world. Um, in the midst of that, without changing, do what, which I know which is what you're doing, is like, you know, all the things you're doing, you're practicing yoga now, great, you're getting into your body. Yeah, but it's easier now, but, you know, I, I've been seeing you for years, and for years you told me, sit five minutes a day, and uh, in the past I was not able to do it. There was always an excuse or not to do it, oh yeah, I should really sit down and meditate, but I just... I was not able to establish a routine. It seems like it's maybe a little bit easier now. It's a lot easier with you, but it's funny. So for her, because she hasn't been around a spiritual community, thank God, for too long. She was like a couple of years. Mm -hmm. took me 15 years to sit down and have a regular practice. I was a martial artist when I was like, whatever, 14, 15. It's really hard. Real meditation is really hard. Not the shtick of meditation. It's really easy to have that thing. I sit every day. And like I was telling you, I do biofeedback on people and they weren't meditating. I'm a Zen practitioner. I was like, yeah, buddy, not there. So the part of you that's impatient, that's like, oh, I've been a couple of years. Stuff takes time. Process, event, right? We talked about that. A lot of things in our culture is event-oriented. We think it's event, right? Everything, if you turn on TV, it's event. This stuff is process. Spiritual work is process. Anything that's event. You come to this weekend and you'll get enlightened. Ain't working. Maybe one out of a gazillion people because they're ready. Everything is, anything worthwhile is a process, not an event. Is that clear? One of the things with this spiritual shtick is this event thing that they sell to us. Come this weekend and we'll sort out the shadow. It'll be done this weekend. Man, it takes time. It takes time, resistance. But get some joy in it. I used to go to these workshops and these meditation retreats and these martial arts retreats and it was like this fascist march. Then when I started actually enjoying it, I was like, you know, I'll go to one a year instead of a hundred a weekend. Enjoy your process. We are here. This life is short. Look at this. We started a couple of days ago. It's almost over. 
Three days, done. This is your life. You'll be knocking on death's door, 40, 50, you'll go just like that. Enjoy the process. Right, right now, even with your pain, enjoy the process. You answered it. Even with your questions, even with all the arrests, enjoy your process. <laughs> what about you? Hiding. I guess, I don't know, I look at it as this is the way I live. Like, I, my hiding, I don't over, I socialize, but I don't over-socialize. Like, I, th- I find things that interest me, and then I do it. Like, with, I've been without a relationship for a long time, and I'm thinking, and I know that when I'm without a relationship, I'm more together in my life, mm. and I enjoy my life, and I have fun, you know, just doing what I want to do. Like, I'll be with people, then I leave people, and then I enjoy mm. being alone with myself and fulfilling my own interests and needs and whatever I do. And then, so I guess maybe I hide in my solitude sometimes, mm. you know, get into my own world. Like everybody's on Facebook, and it's like the last thing I ever think of doing, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like I'm so totally out of that world, mm-hmm. the computer world, you know? Like, mm-hmm. so totally, like, I'm still in this, you know, I'd rather read a book and go to the library and hide in a book. Mm-hmm. I guess I hide in books a lot. I think that's where I go to hide. You know, I close off the world and just open a book, and that's where I like mm-hmm. to be sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? Hide in the library. Mm-hmm. I do that, I hide in the library. You know, I go there to be away from things. I, I go to places to be away from things, you know, like. So it might be a really good practice for you. Yeah. To actually join something in your community. Mm. One hour. Yeah. Go do, you know, a dance class. Go, go do a food line and help yeah. on that level. But not because you're helping people, but just to be around people. Yeah. It's really good practice to do that. That's pretty much, like, I, I love people. I love talking to people. You know, like if I do find things, like if I found a group that was interesting, like a creative writing class mm-hmm. group, or I will do that, you know, I will do that, yeah. So, but do it. Don't think about doing it. Like, exactly. so today is Sunday. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, when you go back wherever you live, start looking around for that and start it. Well, I'm in a yoga class at home. I go to a yoga class at home. I work five days a week. All right. Yo- I mean, yoga is great, but it's not exactly community. It'd be great for you to be somewhere where, like, we can actually communicate with people. Because yoga still can be... a solitary thing mm-hmm. unless it's sort of like aerobic jazzercise yoga so which work, right? well yeah because work is not that's also you want to be out of that the work thing is killing everyone here work is very social because i'm in retail mm-hmm. you know, I yeah but it's still different because you're you're in a persona as yeah as I opposed to, to myself you know like i don't really my phone cannot ring for weeks and weeks and weeks for my for some you know from a friend for something mm-hmm. to do and it's just because you know and i'm so busy i don't really think about it mm-hmm. but it's like so I don't have that kind of contact. Mm-hmm. I have a zillion acquaintances, like I know a zillion people. Mm-hmm. And I, I could be somewhere and just, you know, strike up a conversation and then never see that person again. But that's a difference between being intimate, right? right? Yeah. The Chinese have this great saying, you can dig a thousand wells a couple of feet deep and never reach water. And I'm thinking maybe this is how my life's supposed to be. Maybe I'm supposed to be without an intimate relationship. Okay, so let, let's stop there. So let me, let me take back. Did you hear what I said? Mm-hmm. Hold... A thousand holes never reach water. You take one hole, you dig it deep enough to reach water. The second thing what you said, which is very common for all of us, we're going to talk about that next, justifying that you're alone. Really, in my experience, what I said to you, maybe one out of a couple of million people should be monks or nuns or ascetics. Relationship is the most difficult, arduous, fruitful 
fast way to know yourself. That's fine. I'm, I'm not trying to sell you anything. We'll talk about that. But just what you said, be aware. When we start saying things like, I'm supposed to, already it's a lie because if you know, you don't know. When I say I'm supposed to, that's your ego, your mind talking, as opposed to I know. I know I should not kill people. I know that. I hope you all know that. That's a knowingness. To say I suppose I shouldn't kill people, then something's tweaked in there. So we all say that. I'm not putting you on a spot. We all say that. Now, another thing about this thing is this Facebook thing. I actually think for you it would be really cool to be on Facebook. It might be a good way to kind of break through that. And you go to the library. It's great. You have library you know, computers there. The Facebook thing is very interesting for the, a lot of other people, how they hide underneath that. So it's this competition thing. is the ego. The numbers go up. You have 480 friends. Like if you break your leg, I wonder how many of those friends are going to drop in and say, yo, not many. So... It's so interesting, this virtual world. It's like everything is the same, right? It's like having aspartame. It's like sugar, but it's not sugar. But it'll give you cancer. And it's all these things where these pseudo-relationships, pseudo-sweeteners. Someone's got to pee. Let's take a break. Men in motorcycles, that's pretty hot. Okay, stand up in a circle. We're going to practice that Qigong that we did yesterday, right? So... She just asked me right now, is that a meditation? You can actually do that as meditation, especially those of you that are antsy. Um, it's a nice way of doing it. Also, it really helps build up your immune system. It really does work on that level. So remember what I told you. If you do it regularly, even if it's for a couple of minutes a day, it's much more important. You actually will feel something happen and build up. So this is a very standard Qigong practice. Your feet are totally parallel, shoulder width. The butt's a little bit tucked in, so your spine's open. Your head's hanging as if it's hanging from a string. The hands come out. So the elbows are a little bit soft. And remember, you point your index fingers. That actually gets the energy going better. The tongue is on the roof of your mouth, like a lot of these Taoist practices. That connects the yin and yang main meridians, so what they call microcosmic orbit. You actually might feel this over time if you practice this. So those of you that do yoga or martial arts, from this practice, you actually will feel your practice get stronger because you're just, this is like a battery. You're charging up the battery. And I'll come around and just make sure everyone's doing it good. Remember the shoulders are relaxed and your knees are a little bit bent because all locked joints actually block the energy. Now, if you're tired, go forward a little bit. It brings the energy up. If you're really heady, and feel what happens in your hands, right, when you do that, immediately you can actually feel it in your hands. Sit back a little bit, and that's if you're really anxious, you have a hard time sleeping, you just sit back a little bit, stand back actually, and that helps the energy drop down a little bit more. And you all look pretty good, I'm just going to go around here and correct you a little bit. Beautiful. A little bit more intent on your fingers there, yeah, you're pointing down. So one of the things they talk about in Aikido, which is similar to some of the exercises, is that the little finger is like a fire hose. There's water coming out of it. That's the intent that you're holding. Perfect, Yogi. A little bit up here and come. This. Yeah, there you go. So this actually makes you more heady when the chin is out. Yeah, you pull it in a little bit. Beautiful. Well done. Great. Right. 
Yeah, and make sure that you're, yeah, that's actually tucked in here a little bit. There you go. That's it. Feel that? Mm -hmm. When you tuck that in, that opens this part of the back, which is the Ming Min. Okay. Make your feet a little bit more parallel. So your heels go, yeah, there you go. Beautiful. That's it. Remember to keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth. Make your feet a little bit wider. That'll give you more of a, there you go. Gives you more stability, feel that? Nice. And relax this finger, and this finger is the one where the intention is. Just the index finger. <coughs> intention here. So that was good, yeah, right there. Just lifting from your, you're lifting behind your skull. Everybody was kung fu fighting. <laughs> okay, that's good. So you all got it down. Five minutes a day. So if you don't want to sit, you do this. You can actually do both. You can actually do this if you're really tired for a couple of minutes and then sit down and do your sitting practice. But this is a nice thing to do. So if you're in a bank line, I do this all the time. If I'm standing somewhere and waiting, just practice. It doesn't have to be... Integrate it into your life. You're on the phone, you have to be on the phone with Verizon cursing them out for being the rapist that they are. Feel your feet. Drop down. Do the same thing. Wherever you're in business, working, make it a part of your life. It's very interesting. One of the things that we do with anxiety is we lock. We lock the knees, we lock the hips, we lock the jaws. So even if just a practice of like, you know when you say someone's uptight, their shoulders are up and they're tight. So you just drop it. You drop it. And the breath is just... Regular. Breath is just regular. One of the things with these energetic things, in my experience, is what I was telling you yesterday. If you force them, it can actually throw the energy off. The body has innate wisdom. Somebody's like really force things, unless you're very advanced. I don't know enough about the Indian stuff, but my sense is similar. Um, but definitely with the Chinese stuff. You kind of do these stances and you force the energy. The body's innate wisdom always is going to outright the mind, right? A million and a half years old, 200 years old. I twisted 200 years at that. Let's sit down. It's a comfortable position, right? When you stand, yeah, it's, that's the beauty of that posture, actually. We're so close to Woodstock, so I'll read another poem. <laughs> my inner hippie, no, my inner hippie never. I killed that fucker a long time ago. Um, this is really good because we're all working on dying. You familiar with Pablo Neruda? Homeboy. One of the homeboys. We'll add him up to the homeboys. Die Slowly is the name of this poem. He who becomes a slave of habit, who follows the same routes every day, who never changes pace, who does not risk and change the color of his clothes, who does not speak and does not experience, dies slowly. He or she who shuns passion, who prefers black on white, dotting one's is rather than a bundle of emotions, the kind that make your eyes glimmer, that turn a yawn into a smile, 
that makes the heart pound in the face of mistakes and feelings dies slowly. He or she who does not turn things topsy-turvy, who is unhappy at work, who does not risk certainty for uncertainty, to thus follow a dream, those who do not forego sound advice at least once in their lives, die slowly. He who does not travel, who does not read, who does not listen to music, who does not find grace in himself, dies slowly. He who slowly destroys his own self-esteem, who does not allow himself to be helped, who spends days on end complaining about his own bad luck, about the rain that never stops, dies slowly. He or she who abandoned a project before starting it, who failed to ask questions on subjects he doesn't know, he or she who doesn't reply when they're asked something they do know, dies slowly. Let's try and avoid death in small doses, always reminding oneself that being alive requires an effort by far greater than a simple act of breathing. Only a burning patience will lead to the attainment of a splendid happiness. Only a burning patience will lead to the attainment of a splendid happiness. So he's talking about the idealized self-image, right? He's talking about constantly, constantly pushing against that idealized self-image. Why is it that you don't reply when you're being asked something? Because you don't want to threaten that idealized self-image. At the same time, why do you answer every question? Because the idealized self-image knows everything. So this thing is really powerful. I mean, what, a, what a beautiful soul he was. And, you know, he suffered a lot. It's, again, suffering makes you open like that. Can you spell this last name? Neruda, N-E-R-U-D-A. Pablo. Pardon? Do you have any copies of that? Uh, you can, I can, I can, I'll leave this up there. You can take it, actually. Um, it's called Die Slowly. It's, you know, Chilean poet. So all about the idealized self-image. You can feel the compassion in that, though, right? That's also from suffering. Gay man, Latin America, suffered. Felt against a lot of fascist thinking. And it's so beautiful, especially from the time this was written, he or she. It's very rare. We're like, you know, of course, a gay man is more sensitive. It's all that energy. But it's all about that idea of self-image. So sort of what you were dealing with before, Michelle. I don't know what this next step is. That's what it is. Let it turn topsy-turvy. We both have had experience where our lives been turned upside down, painful divorce. And actually, once you land on the other side, it's so much more beautiful. But would you want to go through that again? No. Would I want to go through that again? No. But if that's what it takes, okay. You're going to tell me you're going to want to do it willingly? You're full of shit. You're going to get dragged to it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship Part. There's a relationship audio thing on my blog. So it's pretty much everything that I would want to cover. So if you're really interested in the relationship part, um, go listen to it. I think a couple of you might have, might have even been there. Is it on your Facebook page? Uh, not the Facebook page, just .com. Um okay. All that stuff's on there. This will be on there too if you want to go back and listen to it. The Facebook has just the writings, but not the, the audio stuff. We'll go through it. Um, Talking about relationship, I'm going to read you one more thing. 
I have this wonderful friend. Um, he's actually the person that edited my book. Love this man, James, James Truman. He sent this to me just before coming up here. And it's about how we live in this world. James was someone that was really active in the corporate world, did very well for himself. And one day just woke up and walked away from it. And it was a golden cage. The guy had it made, right? Had everything, the house here, the house there, new car every year. And he just woke up one day at the height of his game and was like, this is killing me. I cannot do this. And everybody around him freaked out, especially when the economy was weird. Like, how can you do this? How can you do that? The guy looks 20 years younger. One of the smartest guys that I know, beautiful man. I just really like a brother. I love this guy. But my respect for this man went up infinitely. I didn't think it's possible. But my respect for someone who externally just said no to the thing that's killing him. The thing that all of us in our minds think if we have. Once I have this, then I'll be perfect. And I'm set. If I'm financially set, then I'm set. If I'm set this way, I'm set. To walk away from that, there's such power. To get dragged away from the things in your life that's killing you. It's good. That's for most of us. To actually walk away from it, much more powerful. For those of you, when you know things aren't working in your life, step back. If you take one thing from this weekend with the stuff that we talked about, take one thing. If it's a person, if it's a situation, a family member, someone that you're taking care of, you don't want to take care of, not knowing what the next step is, do it willingly before the universe smacks you upside your head. One of the things we were just talking about at the break is how it's so hard to hide now. Any place where you're not aligned, it's going to get revealed. The big stuff is easy, right? If you're a drug addict, that's easy. But then the subtle stuff, in a way, it's more difficult. When you're coming to a weekend like this, when you're doing the work that you're doing on yourself, it gets much more, the heat gets turned up. You can't hide. So I say that not as a warning, but I say that as a warning. If you know something's off in your life, answer it. Because it's like you can turn your music down or you can have him come over with his trooper gear on to turn it down for you. If you want to turn the music down, it's easier. You don't want to piss him off. That's, that's that part of you that's going to be like, listen, there's got to be order. It's not working. It's not malicious. It's actually a service to you. It's not going to feel like that. It's a service to your higher self, not a service to your ego. So I'm going to read this to you, then we're going to go into, into this. This is by Calvino from this uh, book called Invisible Cities. It was written in 72. The inferno of the living is not something that will be, if there is one. It is what is already here. The inferno where we live every day, that we form by being together. Right, heaven and hell. He's saying, like, I don't know about up there, it's here right now. There are two ways to escape suffering it. The first is easy for many. Accept the inferno and become such a part of it that you can no longer see it. Idealized self. But you die. The second is risky and demands constant vigilance and apprehension. Seek and learn to recognize who and what in the midst of an inferno are not inferno. Then make them endure. Give them space. I get chills reading that. I'm going to read that to you again, that second part. The second is risky and demands constant vigilance and apprehension. It's interesting he uses that word, apprehension. Seek and learn to recognize who and what 
in the midst of the inferno are not inferno. Then make them endure, give them space. So going back to what you were saying earlier, I take care of people, I don't really know. One of the things that I check with myself is, I'll go 120% for the person that's not inferno in my life, whether I know them or not. I will put it on the line for them. I will not give anything anymore to the person that's in the inferno, chooses to be in the inferno, is burning in the inferno, and wants me to give him a glass of water. I won't do that. I don't have enough life force. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. And at times when I thought I was, I was killing myself and killing that person. So a good guideline in terms of you saying caretaking, are you caretaking and keeping the person in their shit? Are you giving 10 bucks a day to the junkie? Or is the junkie out now? You're helping them get a job. That would be a good guideline for those of your caretakers, which is all of us on some level. But also really powerful in terms of service. We are right now at a place in this culture where there's the facade and the reality. Kid yourself not. Detroit's coming to every city in America. I say that constantly. There is a falling apart. The system is going to eat itself alive. It's not a bad thing. I don't know if it's going to be fun. I don't know if it's going to be scary. I don't know that. I won't project that. I just see and tell you what I see. But our role in building this new world is that. And for one of you, it might be to go to South Bronx and build a hospital. I don't know. But the easier thing is find other people that are doing the work that you're doing. For you, find that out for yourself. Find out people that are aligned with that and feed that part. And they'll feed you back in return. So, I want to go through the book chapters really quickly and see if you have any questions for those of you who actually read the book. I know you all said you did, you liars. <laughs> but every time, I, I read it, every time I did, it was like I never read it before. Yeah. yeah. It was the funniest thing. I'd be like, That's what happens when foreign guys write English books. It, you know who I love? The mechanic. The mecha Mark, uh, Mark uh, Miller. Uh, Michael Miller. Michael Miller. He's actually from upstate. He. You have heard of Michael Miller. He, that's crazy. So we actually talk about he is from the Adirondacks. My buddy Michael Miller actually was from New York, but he's lived in Adirondacks for a long time. And he is this skiff builder. He builds boats. When I met Michael Miller, I was just getting sober. Michael Miller had this 63 Chevy Nova that was mint, baby blue mint. Everything that he owned, there's like a little bird thing going on in here. Now that's cool. In honor of Michael Miller. Um, he was my first real teacher, which, which I didn't know he was my teacher. This guy would drive me crazy. Because I'm a gearhead. I would always like race and ride fast. This damn Chevy Nova wouldn't go over 50 miles an hour. He had so much tools in it. So he'd make me sit next to him, would drive 50 miles an hour. He'd constantly smoke these camel filterless cigarettes. Uh, well, he'd smoke camel-less filter, uh, filterless cigarettes all day long, like three packs a day. The most brilliant guy, he looked like a jester. You look at his eyes, he just wanted to kiss the guy. The most beautiful blue eyes, the most alive person I've ever met, always present. I remember one of the things that I learned from this guy is how present he was. And he worked, I went to SUNY Purchase, part of my schooling, and he worked for this lawyer building old cars. And a friend said, hey, you need a job, go check this guy out. And the guy was like this master, not like, he was this master that would teach me by slowing down. And he lived half the time upstate in Adirondacks actually building boats. When I say he lived up there, this guy had no consumer instinct. He lived, you know how cold it gets upstate, I don't need to tell you, you work out there. 
he lived in, a, in like a fishing cottage without any insulation, with a wood stove. But it wasn't out of like a macho thing. It, he just was a very simple thing. And he, this guy never had any, I never understood how that works. All the toolboxes he had, he had built himself. We used to work on these old cars, these like Model T4s, Model B4s. He used to actually, on this ridiculously ancient lathe, make parts to make these cars run. The stuff that this guy would teach me was just slow down. So one of the stories that I talk about in the book is I was up in the Adirondacks, Indian Lake, we're hanging out, it's fall, I'd ridden up there, and the wind was blowing, and I was so into the spiritual stuff and going to this seminar, and that seminar was like, hey man, what about God? What do you think about God? And he kind of like looked at me just like as a real wise person, but looked like, like a, a jackass. I was like, what do you need God? What are these words? Look around you. This is it. I didn't get it. Took me 25 years to get what he's talking about. He was living it, what I was trying to do. So once you're living it, you don't need the philosophy. So what I was saying to you before, like how there's all these cookbooks and no one's cooking. So all these religions, Buddhism, blah, 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 blah. No one's cooking. Everyone's gathering menus. That's what the ego does. Some people have vast libraries. They haven't read one fucking book. And not only they haven't read the book, they haven't practiced from the book. So Michael Miller was the guy that was living it. So beautiful. I mean, I tell you, it's really like one of, the, one of those things. His whole thing was slowing down. So I'd go in there, like, blah, 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 blah. I just did the racing. Oh. He would just listen. So one of his masteries was he wouldn't at all interject. He would let me blow my wad. Blah, blah, blah. Just sit there. So patient. Why patient? Because he was patient with himself. Guy wasn't perfect. Everyone has issues. But in that place, then he would get me to do some job that would take a long time. So buffing, it was like the karate kid. You know, I remember watching when the karate kid came out, I was like, God damn, I had like the Irish kid. Because it was just like Irish dude before I had the, you know. He'd like have you do these things. And he would look at it really kindly, smoking on a cigarette, like go do it again. Not like an asshole, just enough of a way, just that I knew, because he held his truth. You didn't pay attention when you were doing this. You're in your head. But he wouldn't say those words. It's like, do it again. And I would be like, damn, he's right. Then I'd do it again. He'd be like, good, it can be better. You go back. It would just slow you down. So I always pray for everyone that I meet that you have a Michael Miller in your life. You probably have it and you haven't noticed it because we all have that teacher somewhere. It might be five minutes. It might be an hour. It might be the person that parks your car. But we have them. And it's just being present. I remember being in Costa Rica years ago and parking my car to go to the beach somewhere. And there was this kid parking at 10 and 18, 19 years old. And we had this connection. I walk out the car. We both recognize. We know each other. Whatever you want to say. But, you know, it's all stories, right? Past life, this life. We recognize each other. I was like, wow, my whole experience of coming here was to meet this guy. For him to meet me, we both got transformed. It was like two seconds. We just weren't like hug, you know? We might have even hugged. And I don't speak Spanish. He doesn't speak English. But we recognize. That's what being present does. I was like, wow, what a teaching. This whole thing is not what it's about. It was about meeting this person. Some healing happened from these two souls meeting each other. That's the gift of being present. Questions? Is he alive? Huh? Is Michael, Michael Miller's alive and well. Killing man? You can't kill the Irish man. Irish man's a badass. All that potato famine shit, man. That stuff's real, man. They're hardcore. Don't fuck with the fighting Irish. He's a beautiful guy. If you ever are up there, look him up, man. He's, he's something. 
So, the chapters in this book were written. My intention was that you just even read the chapter, you don't read it. You get an idea of what I'm talking about. So the first chapter was using the alarm clock to stay asleep. Pretty self-explanatory. That's pretty much what we do all the time. That's just what I was talking about. We collect the menus, but we don't order. We collect all the food stuff, but we don't cook. We've got a year worth of food supplies in case 2012 comes. We don't even crack one. And we're hungry all the time. So that's very common in our culture. Questions on that? I'm so good. I love when I'm so good that I can just clear the clouds off your thinking. Addiction masquerading as spirituality. So that's everything, right? 2012, oh my God, I'm going to do tarot reading on this, I'm going to do that. All the asana stuff. One of the things when you don't know stuff, sit with it. The answer will come. It's like the irony of things. It's great to actually go to an intuitive when you don't have a question. To ask about what is my spiritual path? She can rock your world. Should I stay with this person? Should I not stay with that person? She doesn't give a shit. She's going to answer you. She's like, Jesus, what the fuck, man? Figure that out. It makes no difference. And she'll charge you double. <laughs> Send you to the goddess. So remember that the egos run out of places to hide in our circle, so it'll hide under spirituality. That's a very, and it's very hard to see. So that's the whole reason of reading that book was, writing that book was just seeing that day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, and people not getting it. And remember, when you're in it, you don't see it. Path to awakening. There are a lot of different paths. And remember, most likely, your teacher's path is not your path. One of the greatest things that one of my Taoist teachers said to me very early on, he said, if you see more than a couple of people at one place, run the other way. <laughs> it's a very deep thing. Because your path is, like we all have different fingerprints, right? Every person here has a different fingerprint. So you have to figure out what that is. That goes back to that whole oak tree that goes back to the rose bush. Are you an oak tree or are you a rose bush? You don't know that. So it's very easy to go to the path of oak trees even though you're not and you feel good because everyone's saying the same thing, blah, blah, blah. One of the wildest things for me having been in spiritual communities when I was younger and then falling out of them was how really smart people were so brainwashed so easily that intelligence had nothing to do with that stuff. That people were like in the PMS stuff, power, money, sex. People were like hoodwinked. They weren't stupid people. Right? When you have these really radical examples like Guyana and people drink the Kool-Aid, we're all drinking the Kool-Aid on some level. They're not stupid people. Part of that is that whole parental thing. We don't do the parental work, so we project all this parental stuff on the guru, on the teacher. So remember what we talked about yesterday, the next chapter being guru. I really feel we're all guru means teacher, the one that dispels darkness. We're all gurus for each other. Like everybody here shared something that helped everybody else here. So we're all students. We're blah, blah, blah. We all know that. We don't really know that. So let that sink deeply into yourself as you're going outside. Judgment as the inner guru. So that's a really important one. You want to see where your work is? Look what you're judging. Remember what I said to you. You don't have to like everyone. You have to love them. If you don't Love them, that's the judgment kicking in. You don't like them, that's fine. Lots of people I don't like. I really try to love everyone. Do you understand what that means? But that doesn't mean I want to spend it. Okay, you can like someone, you can love someone. 
you can be like, that person's such an asshole. I hate them. All right? You can be like, that person is really annoying because the whole time they're not talking about this, they're not talking about that. It actually reminds me of myself because I do that. Different experience. Then you can love them. What I mean by love them is that person doesn't have an effect on you. When a person is really shaking you up on something, that's something inside of you that needs to be sorted out. Figure it out. So by love them, I don't mean that you kind of hold them and love them. I just mean on a higher level, you can let them be. That's their path. Why is it affecting you? Right? Oh, well, here's the thing. I agree with you. The teaching is, if something annoys you, that's a teaching. It can get tricky to say they're there for you or not. I actually sometimes agree with that. Sometimes I think life happens. I think, I don't think. Let me put, how do I feel? I feel from what I've experienced, there are situations in our lives that are really put in our path by our higher knowingness and their higher knowingness so we can both learn. And there's sometimes shit happens. And your reaction with both of them, whether shit happens or is put in your path, should be exactly what you're saying. Learn from it. Right? I might not like it, I've got to learn from it. So I have an interaction with someone, they screw me over. I hate it, but I've got to learn from it. What part of me knew that interaction wasn't right? What did I do? It was the addict in me. I couldn't wait. Instead of just driving out to Ohio and checking out that muscle car, I just bought it. Out of the... It wasn't instinct, it was addiction. I should have taken my time, driven my ass to Ohio before dropping 25 grand, on that Cheval SS, I'm like, no, this, this is not right. <laughs> so can I say he, this person was put in my life, it was very good too, man. The guy was a real Christian. Like, I, I, right away, he was like, kept throwing his Christian things. Well, brother, as Christians, you know, do you right? I, do, I should have just run the other way. That's just like the conscious logging thing I said to you yesterday. I'm doing conscious logging. <laughs> Fucking like nine chainsaws going. So was that person put in my path? No, the addict in me, sought that person out to learn that lesson and then when I'm wrenching on that damn thing and like pissing money on it like it's going out of style every time I'm getting a bruised knuckle being like I should have driven down there that was an addictive thing to do just impulse buy questions on that? it's hard to kill that addict well you you can't kill it if you feed here's a great thing you can't kill the addict and that's what we try to do if you're feeding your true self the addict weakens if I'm not taking care of myself, my addict really kicks in. So I'll give you, I'll tell you what my addiction thing is. We are looking. It's bike parts or car parts. So if I'm kind of going crazy on the internet, cruising for bike parts or car parts, you're like, waiting, like what's he talking about, hookers and drugs? Um, I know I'm not taking care of myself. It's a very distinct feeling when I'm like, wow, I actually would love to have this part. I'm going to wait to have this part. I'm going to put money aside for this part. I'm going to do all the research on this part. Do I really need this part? Oh, no, I want to give myself a gift for this part. Then I order the part. That's the good one. The other one is, I'm taking care of everyone. I'm doing phone calls at home. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I get online. I'm just, boom, boom, boom. I call and just order it. Half the time, the part won't fit. It was this addictive move. It's not about the part. What is my intention? It goes back to action and intention. What is your intention behind things? So when the addict is up, you should know that you're not being fed. The addict is the false self. You've all had the experiences when you haven't eaten and you go to the supermarket and you buy like nine times the amount of food you need. <laughs> Do you know that? If you're eating regularly, you go to the supermarket to get what you need. But if you're really hungry and you've missed and it's like 8 o'clock at night and you're running and then all of a sudden you drop $200 at Horror Foods and you're like, you heard that right, Horror Foods, I said not Whole Foods. Um, and you're like, 
oh my God, what the hell did I just do? Because you're hungry inside. Due to your appetite. Pardon? True to your appetite. See, if you shop when you're hungry, this is what I tell some of my customers, when you shop when you're hungry, you're true to your appetite, right? You're, you know, but when you shop when you're full, it's like a falseness because your hunger's not there to tell you what it wants. Actually, I'm saying the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we talked about the next chapter, which is spirituality and suppression of the shadow, right? So people think being spiritual is like shoving this down and there's really no room for it to coming out. And then on top of it, people who do shadow work aren't even doing shadow work because they think talking about it. This is like Est Forum. You guys familiar with that stuff? So back in the day, we all did Est, right? All, all of us of that time. Okay, yeah, because you're English, so you probably don't have to show what Americans are talking about, which good for you. Um, in this country, in New York anyway, I don't know this country, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, not an American. In New York, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was this thing called Est. And then later, they had a thousand variations. And what it was, was... It's still going on. Is it like, it's yeah, called... Under a new name. Yeah, it, it keeps changing. Forum or... Landmark Forum. Landmark Forum, right. So it keeps changing. So basically what it was is, you know, in the late 60s, we had this self-actualization movement in the States. So it was this sort of pressure cooker thing where you would go in, get torn apart. And in some ways it was cool. In some ways it was really scary. Yeah. So you'd really, you know, find your fears. Like the exercise we did with like being guided by someone, you would do that on a much higher level, walking across a rope or, you know, like walking across fire. Like everyone had their own variations on it. Well, yikes is right, because a lot, for a lot of people to open things up, the problem with those kinds of systems is you go in there, it's like getting your heart ripped open. Like, yeah, you can see your heart if your sternum is ripped wide open. But then you walk out three days later, your heart's still open. So a lot of people would have these breakdowns, and then it was a whole pyramid scheme, and you made money off of it. It was like a lot of stuff that wasn't clean. But if you look at it from a higher purpose, a level of consciousness, you go through these things to find. But this is what I'm talking about. It's not about ripping it open. If it's done too fast, any of this stuff will damage you. And you have to re regress and work on it. As a shaman, we have this thing called soul recovery. Right? Soul recovery is when you leave a chunk of yourself out. Now, sometimes it's past life, sometimes it's early childhood wounding. I've done it with people who've done these ayahuasca journeys. One time I had someone who had done a whole bunch of mushrooms, high, like 40 grams. Like 5 grams is considered a heroic dose, which kind of opens. This person had done 40 grams. God knows why. Person was never the same. Person was actually a chunk of them was missing. So when you rip yourself wide open on that level, you have to be conscious. First, do no harm. That's not just in medicine, in spirituality too. First, do no harm. It's a good movie. That's in life called First, Do No Harm. Don't know it. Don't know it. One of the things about this, I talk about it in the book, about this uh, suppression of a shadow. Alice Miller, mm -hmm. right, this wonderful psychotherapist, she talks about the Nazis, and she's done a study of the Nazis, and how these people were these really church-going, good family men. They weren't, you know, you had psychopaths in that system. It's about that repression. When you're trying to be so good, when you're trying to be, you're going to project that on someone. So that's the same thing in our culture. Right? We did it with the Irish, we did it with the um, Italians, we did it with the, we're doing it with the Mexicans now, we did it with the Arabs. This is a big part of the suppression. If you suppress that shadow, it's got to come out in projection somewhere else. Right? It's very damaging, and we all do it. Our culture is very good at not owning it up, but most cultures, I mean, every culture has it. 
Just for ours, it's like kind of fine-tuned. Um, Holy Grail of romantic relationship, we'll talk about that. The idea that in romantic relationship, you can actually heal a lot of stuff if you're doing it properly. Most people are sleepwalking in relationships. If you're not in a relationship, it doesn't mean you're not doing the work. If you're in a relationship, it doesn't mean you're doing the work. You can also do it through friendship and all that. But there's something very powerful when it's done that way. And it's not pleasant initially. Because you can't hide. And everybody wants to hide. So whenever in a romantic relationship, people come in and be like, my husband's such an asshole. It's like, why do you need him to be an asshole? What's your part in it? My wife is so cheap. What's your part in it? My wife never does this. What's your part in it? It's always 50-50. Remember in relationships, love or otherwise, the 50-50 thing. All you can do is control your 50%. You were saying earlier, I don't know. I want to take care of someone. I don't want to take care of someone. Own your 50%. What's your 50%? You can't control their 50%. Is that clear? Um, it's clear, but it's sometimes hard to find one's own responsibility. Well, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, that, it takes a lot of work. If you think about it, like for me, going to couples therapy, I'm not everyone goes like, oh, you're such a therapy, therapy. Going to couples therapists. Remember, most healers are crazy and sick, and most therapists are crazy and sick, but there are a lot of good ones out there. Going to couples therapy is really powerful. If you're breaking up, if you just met, you've been together for a long time. We invest so much money in so many things. To me, a good couples therapist, especially when things are going well, it's so powerful when you're in a relationship because you're always hiding. To me, it's mind-blowing as someone who's worked on themselves pretty arduously for a long time, how checked out I am in relationships. I just had a little phone session before coming here on Friday. And my wife, being so much wiser than me, is like, you should do, we should do a little session before you're going to open you up for the people. I'm like, yeah, I'm always open. And it was like amazing. So what if things are good? I always am shocked, like, oh my God, even things are great, it can be so much better. Because I'm holding back. She's holding back. We're all holding back. But I'm not trying to sell you that you have to be in relationships. So we've been sold this thing about the householder versus ascetic life. Right? We think spirituality is ascetic life. I guarantee you, it's a thousand times easier being an ascetic than to be a householder. A thousand times. And those of you that are mothers here, million times. My hat's off to you. To be a parent, father or mother, on a conscious level, my God, there's nothing harder. Truly. Truly. If that's your path, you poor bastard. Grace comes by surrendering into helplessness. So the feelings that came up today was that feeling of helplessness. Remember, we totally run away from it all the time. All the running around that you're talking about, all the busyness, being isolated, running after people, running after teachers. We don't want to feel helpless. What happened today at the end of this breaking down, we all touch a little bit of helplessness. When it's safe, it's actually really delicious. But we never, it's just like having bacon and cake. It takes a lot of ingredients to get that up. Um, I need to ask Chris's permission if I can speak on this. Chris, can I talk about our experience yesterday? Sure. Okay. Um, when Chris was leading me, no. I have to tell you, I had a paranoid moment because I didn't know if you put this, put her up to this. Um, she was leading me around, and I kept my eyes closed, and she banged me into the wall. And then she banged me into something else and banged me into the wall again. And I put my arm out to protect myself, and she grabbed my wrist like this. Now she had both my hands. I have been incarcerated for five years. You do not do this to me. <laughs> and I stayed with it. Mm. 
Brave. I stayed with it because I made a commitment to this workshop. Brave. On the street. <laughs> I didn't feel like I was doing something aggressive. <laughs> so, no, I, and I believe that. I, I believe you had no idea the impact it would have on me. I never felt you did it deliberately. I never felt it was malintent. No, because when I saw you now, I was like, I need to watch her. <laughs> like it was just mm. a reaction. Mm. It's a hell of a reaction. Mm. Mm. <laughs> now, when it was my turn to lead her, I took her hand and I put my other hand on top. I didn't grab her wrist. I just mm. put my other hand on top. Mm. And I walked with her. She could barely walk. So I slowed my pace down mm. to accompany hers. Mm. And she slowed down more. Mm. I slowed down again. She slowed down more. I tapped her hand. I thought it was, my intuitive sense was that she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to take care of me, and she didn't want me to take care of her. Mm -hmm. Now normally, that kind of information would make me stop and just say, okay, what do you want? Mm -hmm. I didn't. I stayed with it. It was extremely uncomfortable. Beautiful. Extremely uncomfortable. But it never made me angry. I never got angry. I never felt it was deliberate. I was concerned with how it was affecting her. I was with her. And I trusted her. She could have knocked me into the window. And I still would have stayed with her. You better cut this shit out. <laughs> step outside, mama. Grace comes through helplessness, right? It was an amazing experience. Now, I actually came across to you two, I don't know if you remember, because we're all control freaks, so none of you listen to what I'm telling you. I said to you, lead someone like you lead a blind person. And I the, blind. Well, but the way you lead a blind person is you don't grab their wrist. You put your arm out and you let the person hold. The person that's leading is just putting their arm out, and the person that's blind, quote-unquote, is just holding their arm. But because we're such control freaks, this is where the body language speaks so much louder. Everyone was grabbing wrists, and I actually came up to you guys, and I tried to correct that, but you were, in your own, you were already in the experience. We're all checked out. When we can go into that space is amazing. For me as a healer, the most powerful things come out when I can be helpless. And I've talked about that story in the book about that patient, client, who had all these horrible things happen to them. You know, brother in jail and brother had gotten HIV from being raped in jail and wrongly, blah, blah, blah. When you're in the face with such horrors, you can't do your shtick. You can't give. You can. You can give a psychic read. It doesn't matter. So when you just sit with that, magic happens. Sit with that horror inside of yourself. Whatever that horror is, whatever this thing is, sit inside with it. It's really powerful. It's powerful. And if you're a collapsed person, sit with your strength because that's what's makes you strong. If you're someone who's really in this like over extreme energy because of their suffering, sit with the softness. What scares you is what heals you. Um, quick fixes are for junkies. Not that you would know anything about that or I would know anything about that, but those of you that are junkies, the quick fix thing, man, it's, it's everywhere, but it is very much a part of this culture. That's that event process thing because everything is sold as event. Nothing is sold as process. People have no time for process. Do my 30 days of yoga and you'll be enlightened. Da -da 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 -da. You can't buy that stuff. It doesn't work that way. You just remove the obstacles. 
And remember, most of the stuff is adding stuff to it. Remember what real spirituality is actually removing the blockages. That thing is already there. All right, I'm looking for this nose. I'm going to go all around the world looking for this nose. I'll take this train, I'll ride this bike ride, I'll race, I'll meditate, have sex, don't have sex, eat, don't eat. Hopefully one day I'll be a mirror but like, God damn, this nose was here all the time. Holy shit, how ridiculous everything I've done. So that's the part of slowing down. The illusion of happiness. There's a big illusion in this culture about happiness. There's never talk of being content. Happiness comes and goes. Contentness is the sun. It's always there. Happiness, sadness, these are like clouds that come and go. As you dump stuff out, as you shift your diet, all these things have effect on your moods, of course. But to think that you're always going to be happy, which is part of this bullshit that this advertising age is selling you, it's impossible. Nothing is solo like that. It can be. You're going to have these ups and downs. And on top of it, a very common thing in spiritual circles is you're made to feel guilty because you're anxious or you're depressed. For me, I've gotten to the point where actually the times when I get down and I get depressed, when you live long enough, you go like, wow, outside of this is going to be a really joyous feeling. And when the joy feeling is there, I'm like, oh, I know there's going to be a flip side of this down the road. So I actually just hold them both. So I don't get lost in the happiness. Ah, great, I'm happy. And I don't put a gun to my head when I'm sad because it's part of that. But I work on a contentness. So when I'm not content, something's wrong. If I'm buying that bike part to make me content, I actually will do my best not to buy it. If I'm content, I've got a couple of extra bucks, it'd be fun to have this trick part on this thing. Then I'll do it. Do the same thing with whatever you're doing. Make sure you're aware, you're slow enough to be aware why you're doing that workshop, that job, that da 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 Capish? Um, living death with your, as a, your advisor, which I think is really important. We never talk about death. It's not a morbid thing. Yeah, there are people who are morbidly thinking about death all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Woody Allen. That's a big thing in our city. It's not that. It's every once in a while, check in. Once in a month. When things are really bad, you feel like, oh my God, things suck. I suck. I suck. It's like, if I was going to die tomorrow, man, it makes no difference. Um, shift happens with intention. Intention's everything. So this fire ceremony we're going to do in a little bit, this whole intention of coming here, set and reset your intentions. I'm not talking about a new agey level. I'm talking about you're having a conversation with that part of you that you're 90% blind to. My intention is to eat cleanly. I go have three pies. My blood sugar spikes and goes down. At least now I know. There's something going on that's not holding that intent. I need to work with it. So it'll show you the divide. And usually it's about mm, six miles wide between what's going on unconsciously and your intent. Just the fact that you know that at least you're a free person. So those of us that are perfectionists, like everyone in this room, that's a hard thing to admit, that we're not in control. And you're never in control. That's all these philosophies that we have is actually to cover up the fact that you have no control. That you can have the most amazing spiritual knowledge, you have no control. You can wake up and realize who you really are. It does remove a lot of anxiety and fear. But you know what? This latte is still going to cost you three bucks. It doesn't change anything on that level. That's part of the confusion in this culture. Spiritual awakening doesn't give you anything. It's already who you are. You're still going to have to learn how to make a living. You're still going to have to learn how to be in relationship. It doesn't change anything. It changes everything. But be aware of why you're chasing it. It's powerful that um, part of 
part where you put about if somebody's very controlling in the relationship is because of not feeling the feeling of helplessness and how the partner often gets really passive. Yes. And that was happening in mine. It was like, I was like a light bulb. It's beautiful. Pay attention to all those patterns, like those relationship things. We'll talk about that next. Um, the relationship thing, again, that's because you see where you're stuck on that level. It shows. And it's always 50-50. Even really abusive situations. I used to work in these clinics, pretty horrendous conditions, where a person, a man or a woman, would be in this abusive relationship. You would help them get out of it. Three months later, they were in the same abusive relationship. You'd help, and it was men as well, not just women, but mostly women. Like one situation with one woman who actually got seriously damaged physically. Three times. It was three different men. And there were three different. I remember it was like she was Hispanic. So one one was Puerto Rican. One, one man was Dominican. One one was Haitian. It was three men over a two-year period who would beat her. Now, yes, in these communities, there is a lot of abuse of women. But to do that three times, when, when things happen on that level, there's something deeper going on. Now, why is that? Because unconsciously, we talked about the negative pleasure, the idealized self-image. If there are twins, I'll repeat this again. You're looking for a relationship. If they're twins and one person has the wounding, that's yours. They look identically the same. And one doesn't. You will not recognize the one that doesn't have the wounding. You will go right away to, towards the one that has the wounding. Why? Because we sexualize these early childhood wounds. When you're wounded as a child, all you have available to you is the pleasure principle, that energy. So this is where the conscious mind and the unconscious mind aren't communicating. Conscious mind says one thing. The unconscious says another. So if you're having situations in your life that are really out of alignment with what you're having in terms of relationships, let's say, that's because that part's not fed. Figure that part out. And relationships are really powerful that way. Because right away, you, you know, you can't bullshit. You can kind of act like, oh, I, I don't really care about having a job. I'm fine with this. Okay. I don't, know, I don't really mind about my health, my body, too skinny, too this, too that. That stuff is right in front of you. So, any questions so far? Can I just ask you one thing about when you say it, uh, well, not you necessarily, but when it said, die a little every day. Say that again? Die a little every yes. day? Yes, yes. Just shutting the ego down a bit, just sitting back. That's just another way of saying that. Yes, but more than that, let go of the aversions and preferences. Remember that poem I read for you? Yeah. Just step back from the aversions and preferences. I was having this conversation with a bunch of my friends. I have you know, a lot of friends, cool people, artists. They're very involved spiritually, this and that. And a couple of weeks ago, and they were like talking, yeah, but things can be better. You need to challenge yourself. You need to... I was like, hold on a second here, man. Can we just sit here? It was Thursday night. I was a little bitchy. I was on a rag. It was like worked a hard week. I just got upstate, and these people are really open. But they're from California. I'm a New Yorker. I'm not a Californian. We teach each other. They're all like, hey, man, it's great. I'm like, can we just take an inventory of how perfect it is at this moment? I love you. I love your daughter. I love your wife. I'm so happy to see you. What is this thing? Oh, we've got to go to the next level. Once we can honor this moment, now let's go to the next level. That's a part of this thing in this culture. It's never enough. We've got to go. Where the fuck are you going? Where are you going? Honor this. Taste this. Okay, now we'll go to the next level. But we're in this... So part of the dying thing is that. Just like, be here. No matter how fucked up any of all of our lives are in this moment, whatever your pain is, there's a lot of grace in it. A lot of grace in it. Now we have a reaction to that because of course religion has used that to make us not move forward. 
That's the whole thing, oh, just accept things as they are. No, I'm not saying that. That's control. But start with where you are. Even you live on a street and you got a little vase that you love, awesome. Dig that vase and then go from there. No one has enough in this culture. So the die slowly is that. So you can do it through meditation. You can do it by sitting. You can do it by doing a little qigong. One of the things that I do, this is the part of my, I'm really, the dying practice to me is like the thing that talks to me the most. I do the meditation. I do the pranayama. I do my martial arts. But the most powerful thing for me is really a dying practice. I will do it something I really love. I haven't been able to do it with, with sex yet because my wife will kill me. But I'll be in the middle of a practice that I really love. And I walk out of it. So I'm working on some things, like, you know, with like, I know the dime just dropped on that one. Um, I'll be working on something. So, you know, like we're all perfectionists. So for me, if I take something apart, if I'm building an engine, I really got to finish everything. So I'm in the middle. I'm like, wow, I just got five more things to do. And I'm like, I'll stop and step back. So you're watching a movie, walk out of it, and then experience what that feels like. You with me on that? You're watching your favorite TV show, whatever it is. Step out of it. Those dying things are really powerful because that's how death comes knocking on your door. You don't know where you're going to go. When you get comfortable with that, it's a very interesting relationship because you realize how much you're grabbing. So you know the experience, right? You have friends that are like grabby, grabby, grabby. You're like, oh, Jesus, man, let me go. That same friend can be just not needy. You'll have the same conversation. It's a very different experience. Don't be that grabby, grabby person with yourself. Questions? Yes. Well, how does one pick not from the wounded part? You know what I mean? That is a thing. How does how do we how do to get in touch with that? The meditation, therapy, doing these things. Mm-hmm. You you know if you're honest with yourself when you're doing something out of addiction and when you're not, because it feels different, and you have to slow down to know. Sometimes you have to go into it a little bit to know. Sometimes it'll be like you invited the friends over. You're really tired. You didn't have the courage to say, don't come to my house. The friends come over to your house. And after two days, you're like, Jesus, I didn't have it. Next time, you'll catch it back a little bit. It's by constantly questioning everything, by constantly examining everything. It's all it is. And remember, it hurts to do it. It's hard. That idealized self-image, man, will protect that damn thing all the way to the death. And the fear of death, I mean, over and over, this just happened recently with someone that I was working with. Both couple of person was dying and the woman was dying and young person of serious cancer. The person was ready to go probably two years ago. Because of not doing the work that I'm talking about, the person held on. But it wasn't fun holding on. This is, what is this thing? You're just going to hold on because you're so scared to go to the other side. It was this dragged out horrendous death. Whereas when you're ready to go, you just let it go. You're not born... You don't die. Get to know that. We're all living in this terror. Part of the whole running around thing, besides the anxiety, is this anxiety that you're not real, that it's going to get taken away any second. Live as a free being. Don't live as a slave. Live as a slave. When I get tired, the foreigner comes out. Don't live as a slave. Okay. So, the relationship thing is on the website. If you're interested in it, listen to it. We've got a little bit of time. I just want to go over it, unless there's other stuff you guys want to talk about. No? One question about optimism. Yeah. Um, and how it's you know, conducive to making you happy. Mm-hmm. I was with someone who's really optimistic, and I, 
That's for you to answer what you can live with. But to me, that doesn't sound like optimism. That sounds like a defense mechanism. You know, there are people who are really optimistic. That's really their nature. And there are people who are pessimistic. That's their nature. But to say it's their nature usually started somewhere. There are people that are really connected to a higher place. They're relaxed. That's, to me, the most honest thing. I've seen people, Michael Miller was one of those people. I never saw the guy anxious. He was connected to the state of, hey, it's all good. It's all one. To me, optimism or pessimism, we all have personality types depending on our bodies and our diet and all that. So taking that apart, it can be a defense mechanism. Right? It's like everything is fine, everything is fine, everything is fine. Again, it's like I was saying, there's sometimes you're fine. So if you are living in Nazi Germany as a Jew, I doubt you'd be optimistic. People can rationalize that every, well, these souls were learning. What are you talking about? So optimism is a luxury, living a certain way, but I don't think it's real. So if you're in a relationship and the person and it's painful, how can I be optimistic? It's painful. I can understand having a higher view, but you can't always live in a higher view. One of the things that's very crucial in the spiritual understanding is have one foot in the higher realm, have one foot in the lower. I'm using these words, it's not higher or lower, but you have to be in your experience. You give up a lot to be in these meat suits, be in them. Well, it's being a realist, what I was saying. It's sort of like talking about, you know, atheists and religious people. Like, you know, agnostic is the most honest. I don't know. So sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. But I think from what I'm hearing you say, and correct me if I'm wrong, you realize there's something is off about that. It's not exactly that. Yeah, because, I mean, sometimes when people have faith, mm-hmm. they seem to have better systems, live mm-hmm. longer lives, mm-hmm. kind of have the same positive effects Well, this is a beautiful thing you're bringing up. This is the whole thing with, we talk about faith. I've been in people's heads for a long time. People have faith when things are going well. And you're absolutely right that there's tons of studies done that when you have faith, that the immune system is better because you're basically more relaxed. You're giving yourself up to a bigger place. Then something not so fun happens. Like your kid dies in a car accident. Like you lose your job. Now, faith can still cover it but what I see at that point is for a lot of people that it actually starts separating because then it starts becoming denial. So what we talked about yesterday, what I would want for you, what I want for myself is direct knowledge as opposed to faith. If I have faith, I can swim and I live in the Sahara Desert. I can go through my whole life, have faith. I've never learned how to swim, but I have faith I can swim. If I happen to fall in a river and I have faith I can swim and I've never swam, I'll drown really quickly. Faith is not going to help me. So I'm all for all that stuff. I'm more be real with what your abilities are. Now, you can do the same thing that faith is doing by doing your meditation. That'll totally change your um, blood levels and immuno, you know, your immune system gets stronger. The Qigong will do the same thing. And there are those of us that the fact that we're talking about it means already we don't have that faith, which is why we're talking about it. You know, my grandparents were simple people. 
they had simple understandings of the world. So for them, faith was the way it was. For me and you, that will be the same thing. We know too much of the world. We've seen too much. Does that make sense? So the, the faith thing is, to me, it's that all these things become these defense mechanisms. And they're passed on as such. So am I against you? If you have direct experience, by all means, no worries. But then that part wouldn't be asking that question. Right? Someone, someone's had that full awakening. It's all one, really. Like at that stage, when you have the awakening, there are no problems. Everything is like it's all one. But I can tell you this. If someone offers you a million dollar, million dollars, 10 million. And someone offers you enlightenment, take the 10 million dollars. Because when you're enlightened, you're not going to really be tasting that $10 million. The enlightenment is going to come to you anyway. Meanwhile, enjoy the $10 million. Because that's one of the things that people forget. That's the ego running after this damn thing. It thinks it's some prize. Ego is really funny that way. It doesn't understand it's going to have its head chopped off. Does that answer your question? So, yeah. Be real as opposed to... be. So we are talking about yesterday, right? Be real as opposed to having faith or have this or have that. But it's great. If you have faith, that's wonderful. To me, it's better if you have direct experience. Again, we talked about having Michelle's experience. She's done a lot of work with regressions. For her, she knows from direct experience that there are these things, whether it's psychological or not. People remember these quote-unquote past lives. They have healings. It's a real. It's been documented up the wazoo, whatever you want to believe or not. She has direct experience of it. But have people who use that language without having direct experience of it, it's denial. Well, I think in my past life this happened. What do you mean I think? Either you have direct knowledge or you don't. If you think, maybe, maybe not. Questions? Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. We're getting close. Yes, intruder. We like intruders. Always invited. Love that. I mean, like, you go to the bathroom and the Dalai Lama's there in the bathroom with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think you're going crazy mm-hmm. because you're having visions, mm-hmm. connections, mm-hmm. whatever Joan Borsenko calls it. Mm-hmm. You know. Until Jack Kornfield, during a meditation retreat, says, you're not going crazy. You're having a Kundalini. Awakening, mm-hmm. go and get this book, Spiritual Emergency. Mm-hmm. You have two to ten years to go through this, mm-hmm. and it's going to be, you're going to suffer, but mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Does, does anybody mind an outsider now joining at the end of your summing up of your experience? Because I am an outsider. What's your question? Yeah, really. So, okay. So, here I am. I'm trying to do the work. Mm-hmm. I'm s- taking specific classes that I know will help me get one rung up the ladder mm-hmm. from brilliant, mostly scientists mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and my partner doesn't get it. My partner of 28 years, he's blocked. He's not willing to grow. <laughs> he's not willing to learn. Okay, so... He is addicted to gay... Mm-hmm. So let me stop you right there. 
So that's a lot of stuff to throw out there, but it's perfect because we're talking about relationship. So what's happening to you? It's happening to a lot of people. That spontaneous awakening, there's a lot of that going on right now. So the first thing that's going to be really painful, I had that experience at 13, at 18, at 21. The first thing is, enjoy it. It means fuck all. It's just an experience your nervous system is having. Use the information that comes in. It's interesting. You realize your oneness. You're still in phenomenal world. Part of the curse of the Kundalini thing, besides the physical pain that you might be having, is you have one foot stuck in this world or being given a vision of this outside world. There is many, many layers to these worlds. The psychic abilities that are coming will be more of a hindrance than a gift. Yeah, I've, the, I've prayed for them to go away and yeah. they are stopping now. Yeah, well, yeah, so definitely the, more, the less you give them attention, the easier it can be. Diet will definitely affect it and physical asanas can definitely affect it. The second you go into this thing, which is great because we're talking about relationships, so thank you for that. My husband, my husband. You have no control over your husband. You chose this man because you were sleepwalking, and at this point now you're awakening. He's present to your awakening. So on a soul level, when you two met 28 years ago, there is an agreement that at year 2000, blah, 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 one of us is going to wake up. It's his choice. You can't control him. Either he'll step up to it or he won't. The focus has to be on you. But the second you go into, I can feel your pain, I can feel your anger, the second you go into him, you've already lost your path. Go back into you. What part of you, what can you do to heal this part? Right now, things are speeding up. We have no control over anyone at the best of times. You really have no control over him right now. So you could say gay porn, you could say drugs, you could say whatever. People are doing two things right now. Either they're doing the work and waking up, or they're going to the addictive mode and getting... Well, yes, but escaping to addiction is not like the old days. The price is really high now. Yeah. It's not... 100 bucks for eight ball of Coke is $300,000. And not everybody can afford $300,000. Actually, nobody can. So the thing I would say to you is be very aware because the party is going to feel very special that you're having these experiences. I, I'm, I'm past being special. Well, you can say that, but I can tell you the ego will hide under anything. So I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with you. So the ego will hide. Even the things that I'm not special, of course you feel special. You're having experiences that nobody's having. If the, the Dalai Lama doesn't come to the bathroom with me, if you're seeing the Dalai Lama in the bathroom with you, you are going to feel special. The ego will fight this to the end. So it's an experience, physiological. Take it seriously because you can actually do damage if you don't take it seriously. Do your diet, do this, do that. When it comes to the relationship part, this is what we're going to talk about at the ending here. This is a perfect example of what she brought up. You have no control. But I would say examine, this is 28 years is a long time. People change a lot. But what part of you called in this person? I'll give you an example about myself. I've always been with women till the, you know, four, 10 years ago with women that were needy. Why? Because I couldn't hold my own neediness. So the whole time I would bitch, I can't believe these women, they can't get their shit together. They're all artists. I've never dated a woman that's not an artist. Interesting, right? I mean, like... Why? Because I'm not really honoring my own inner artist, so I project it on someone else. So then I started doing more artwork and welding and collages. As I held that more, that got more distant. Then I started taking care of my own needs. Because I was so scared of being needy that I was picking women that were not healthy so I could project that on them. So for 20 years, 25 years, I was like, I can't believe these women can't get their shit together. When I finally stopped spewing that out, owning it, it changed. 
Now, what I was saying earlier, and we were talking about outside of body relationship, eye contact. We're talking, we're talking about the relationship. We were talking about the relationship part. When finally, after, and this stuff takes time. It's not going to be a weekend workshop. When this stuff finally heals, when you meet a partner that's right for you, you won't recognize them, because all these years the addictive patterns, the sexuality are connected. That's why you have crazy good sex with someone that's not healthy for you, because it's disconnected. It's connected to that childhood wounding. That's why it's a whole new way of learning. So you're raised in the U.S. of A, and I'm going to take you to Nigeria. The food is different, temperature is different, people talk different, smells are different, clothes are different. It's really that different. So part of this relationship thing, when you start breaking these patterns, they're different. And we don't want different. Right? We crave on it. We crave on that stuff. Now, what are some of the ways that we disconnect? So the porn thing is very common. Gay, straight, doesn't matter. One of the ways we disconnect from reality, especially men, is the porn thing. People think it doesn't have an effect. Well, I'm just going to have, it's the same thing as an affair. Because it has direct consequences on your nervous system. And it's not just that. It can be a little letter at work. A little, you know, we all flirt, we all have, I mean, come on. You think you're going to be like with the same person your whole life? And I mean, that's crazy shit. But... There's a limit. If you decide to do that on that level, be honest with your partner. And you hold that energy. But if you think you're never going to be attracted to someone else, are you fucking insane? But if you're attracted to someone else, then you take that extra step. Well, I didn't sleep with him. I didn't sleep with her. No, but if you open that door beyond that, your partner is going to know even if they don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's very damaging. So, for me, when that happens in my relationship, when I go like, wow, I really am checking out this, this person i got to go be like, why am I not being fed? More honestly, why, why am I so scared of being fed that I'm spreading this shit out? I love women. I love flirting with women. I love, but I know what that line is. And I know when I'm being disrespectful to my partner. Mm. But I'm not talking about because I'm such a great guy. It's damaging to me. Because if it hurts her, it's hurting me. So this is the part where romantic love is different than spiritual. If you're doing spiritual work, we talked about it due to your intent in your relationship, is you're doing spiritual work. It's very powerful. Don't forget, you know, it's not about gay or straight. In this culture, in terms of the straight world, husbandry, it's about animal raising. The original idea of relationship was survival. It wasn't, and then it became romantic love not that long ago. And we're talking about a whole different level, which is spiritual work. You have to call it that. We get married for all the wrong reasons, the right reasons for the ego, but the wrong reasons. What are you really doing? Again, no right or wrong. You just want to get married because you want to have kids, or you're gay and you want to be with your partner because it makes life great. You want to have great sex, great. Don't confuse them. Don't confuse apples and oranges. People kind of constantly change in the middle of the game. What was your intent when you met this person? And I'm not talking about your conscious intent because that's bullshit that's 10 percent what was your unconscious intent so for me one of my experiences one of the women that i lived with when i was in my 20s she got sicker and sicker as we hung out together we split up she got better we got back together she got sick again so even a dumbass like me realizes like oh my god what am i doing what is she doing so what's going on there i'm like here's this great exchange we're going to do I'm going to give you my 
fear of vulnerability. I'm going to give you everything that I don't like. You carry it. And what do you want from me? I'll take your power. I'll be the powerful healer guy here. I'll do this. I'm a pretty damn good healer. I couldn't do shit for this woman over three years. Couldn't do anything for her. Because the gig was up. We're all doing this in relationship. And it's not just love relationships, but romantic relationships bring it up more. Examine what you're doing in these relationships and your patterns. People say all the time to me, like, I can't meet people. It's not that we can't meet people. The inner child is really scared. It's not a judgment. It takes a long work. There's some people that can't be in a relationship for 10, 20 years. That's the same as me. I've been in a relationship since I've been 17. It hasn't been intimate till very recently. Just because you're in a relationship, not in them, doesn't mean anything. You're sharing a bed with someone. Most people that come to my office, gay or straight, are sharing beds with people. It's not about really being intimate. And that's fine, as long as you're clear about what's happening. There is no right or wrong. Again, this is a part of this idealized thing. You know, not everyone's going to have this love, oh my God, floating through the sky. It's like, that passes. What's the next deep thing? It's having a friend. The bodies fall, right? All of us at our age, we had something, whatever, the bodies fall. You did a surgery, this meat suit dies. It's got to be something deeper. Now, we had parents that didn't teach us that. You have a culture that constantly is throwing these guys with six-pack abs and these 13-year-old girls supposed to be women. We're getting addicted all the time. You don't have to be dialing the porn channels every day to be getting addicted. We don't have any positive role models. You've got to figure it out for yourself. And I would say to you, for those of you that are in relationship or want to be in relationship, find a couple that's healthy. Hang out with them. See what it's like. Yeah, there are not a lot of them out there. They're out there. Find out what your needs are. This cookie-cutter thing doesn't work. That's why it's awesome. Some people aren't married. I'm like, God bless you. That's great, because you have a different model. The, the, the marriage thing is very tricky, because you're buying into something that's millions and millions and billions of people have done on an unconscious level. So just when you put that ring on, it shifts it. So for me, when I got married again, I, had to really, I didn't do it in a church. I did it on the beach. I had a friend of mine whose marriage I actually respect Marry us. I could have gotten some holy moly doly. What the fuck do I want a monk for? You think a monk's going to teach me something about? I'll tell you something interesting. I have a very dear friend. That's how crazy we are. I don't know. I didn't talk about it in the book. No. I have a very dear friend, big, big spiritual guy. I meditate. very nice guy. Um, he was asking relationship advice from a monk. And the monk was giving it to him. Did you understand how fucking insane that is? <laughs> It's like, um, yeah, so how does that really work? I did mention that in the book. It's it's like that, it's like that, that's us. That's how twisted we are. Yeah, great. I mean he'll teach you about child molesting. What else is he gonna tell you about marriage? He doesn't know what to do with the women. Well, yeah, def and that and that's the other side of it. It's definitely easier to give give advice when we don't know. Yeah, but, pe- but people don't know. So when you're in it, you actually know. What does a healthy so, relationship look like? Well, beautiful. Okay, intimacy is when with at least one person. It's a great question. This idealized self-image is melted a little bit. Where you can show your helplessness. Where you, the mask comes off a little bit initially and then a little bit more. You're going to fight it tooth and nail. It's not pleasant initially. It's really hard. For me, since I was little, I've never cared about anything but two things. Having a relationship and waking up. 
That's been my two prayers since I was a kid. The fucking relationship thing is a lot harder. A lot harder. It's really, we're scared, we're scared, we're scared, we're scared. It's so opposite of anything I ever thought of. And every day it's work. I've been in therapy, God knows for how long. It's really hard. And it's fine, just be clear where you are. People put on these shows for other people, they come on this level. It's very simple, just be naked. It's just about being naked with another human being. But just be naked, it's really hard. So if you are in a marriage, you have to really step out of that and realize that marriage was about survival. For survival, you don't change, you don't reveal stuff. You keep it a certain way. Set your intent for what it is that you want. If you're not in a relationship, that's fun. You don't want to be in a relationship, but be aware there is a lot you can learn in it. And it takes time. I know some of you in this room have tried working on being in a relationship. You're pissed off. It's been three years. God damn it, why isn't it happening? It can take 10 years. You don't know. But understand, it's not a coincidence. So I have a whole bunch of what excuses that people use, you know. I'm too focused on my career. I can't find the right person. There's not enough men or women. I'm demanding I have high standards. I fucking hear it all, man. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. I'm scared. Okay, now we can talk. I'm in resistance. Yeah, great. And remember, there's nothing wrong with you if you're not in a relationship where you can't find one. <laughs> so many people are in relationships that would be so much better if they spend some time alone and figure it out. And those of you who have been alone for a while, when you're in a relationship, it will be amazing because actually, hopefully, you've had some maturity. Now, is there anything anybody wants to ask? Because I want to start getting into doing our little fire ceremony. Please. Do you do um, other workshops? Is there, do you follow up to this? Where, where do we go from here? Um, well, there's, I have a website. So on that website, there's an answer question section. You can actually ask questions. I'm an acupuncturist and a therapist, so I work in the city. Um, I do meditations once a month or once every other month in the city. Um, and, you know, workshops, I haven't really, don't have any plans. I do some stuff in the city once in a while. What's your website on? Uh, it's called abdiasadi.com. Brownbrother.org too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, if you go on that, there's there's a page. So um, like things like this, I will put up on there so people have. And if I do a workshop, I'm going to be recording more thrown on there. So you can always access me through that. Yeah, you'll you'll be guided to what the next level is. Questions. Yes? Do you have a question? You're just no, fixing, no. fixing your hair. God damn it. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a fire ceremony. Something I want you to do is to actually, on a piece of paper, write down what you want to let go and what you want to bring in. And then we're going to do this fire ceremony. We can't do it inside here because I don't want to burn them. But well, maybe we'll just do it outside. Yeah. They're like, actually, we might be able to do it on this table. Um, they're always like, man, that guy, that foreigner comes in and burns our shit down. Right away, they were like, you're not burning anything, are you? I was like, just a couple of Christians. Is that okay? Okay. So. And what you want to bring in. So let's just drop in here before we do this. I'm going to actually, yeah, you can, I want you to read your stuff to yourself a second. But before we do, just drop into your energy now. I want to do three ohms just to kind of disperse some of this energy. Any questions before we go into this? You can ask anything you want to ask.
Can I possibly confuse you anymore? What does a healthy relationship look like? Different for every person. What it looks like, the first thing when I know a relationship isn't healthy is a power struggle. So the first thing is there's no power struggle. The second thing is people are actually not dependent on each other. One of the things that I love in my relationship now that I've never had in any relationship is I get to spend time by myself and my wife doesn't punish me for it. I never knew that I needed that. So in all my codependent relationships, literally, I remember being in my 20s, being in a relationship where my partner would follow me to the bathroom. That's how wounded this person was. You ever have an animal that does that? Like my dog is a puppy, so it'll do that. <laughs> it's not cute when it's no, an adult. It's but no, it's, yeah, it's cute when it's your dog it's, it's, or a cat. So there, you, you let the winds of the heaven dance between you. That's a healthy relationship. And you're not responsible for each other. And you actually support the other person and you don't punish them. So... You take care of your own needs, and you're not worried about their needs. They take care of their own needs. They're not worried about your needs. You know when to ask, and you know when it's your stuff, and you can let it go. And you also know when to ask, and the person might not be able to do it for you, but actually you have the courage to ask. So the healthy relationship is easy, easier than what we're used to. Now, the easy part is because there's no power struggle. I don't try to... Oh, well, it's never easy. It's, it's that, that part's never easy, but you're saying, what does it look like ideally? That's what I'm telling you. And it'll be moments. I know in my own experience, there are moments. There'll be six months, nine months, things are cool, and then I don't know where something will come up. And then it's like boom, boom, boom. You bang your head. Relationship is the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But really, like the times right now is put the focus on yourself. Some of these patterns are really hard to break. I know for me as a caretaker, it's really hard. It's really hard not to be in that caretaking, but it's really hard. I, one of the things in a healthy relationship, I really work hard, and I'm not perfect. I can't always do it. I always, when there's a situation that's not working, I, the first thing I go is, like, what part of me is getting something out of this? If my wife is not meeting, quote, some needs or is stuck somewhere, I go, like, what am I getting out of this? Because your unconscious is getting something out of it. It sounds very brutal, right? I was in a situation, I was married, and there was a big betrayal, and my wife had an affair, and I had a nervous breakdown. It was very painful. But even while having that breakdown and crying and being pain, I knew that she got something that I didn't get. She got that we were dying in that relationship. I was madly in love with this woman, or so I thought. I was madly in addiction with this woman. That's why it felt so crazy. And when she left and I had this nervous breakdown, which was a very powerful part of my spiritual awakening, it was like I was giving up drugs. But much worse, but drugs were a joke compared to that because it was giving up that codependent relationship. So we're in addiction a lot of times in a relationship. So take responsibility for yourself. And it's not just love relationships, friendships. Take responsibility. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And, can, and can you have hot sex with somebody who isn't It's a really great thing that you're saying. The hot sex thing is very connected to the wounding. You have a sex that connects to your heart, but that I can't wait to fuck the shit out of this person, that's almost always the addiction. You'll have moments of it with your partner. I'm just telling you about the experience of a therapist and my own experience. You'll have moments of it with your partner. You might have had a drink or you're kind of loose or you did some kind of workshop. But that <laughs> wild sex thing is actually addiction. Yeah. And, you know, some things suck. It's, yeah, that's great, man. But so is doing coke. But it'll kill you. So is driving 180 miles an hour on the street. 
trooper there is going to put you in jail, take your yank your license. I mean, there are things that have consequences. So that wild sex thing, it's really wild. It's a great question that you ask. But I think that's very hard to keep going in a relationship. I mean, to keep the sex going. Well, yes, because, now this is a great thing. Why is that hard to keep going? Because initially when you met someone, this is what we talked about yesterday. Initially when you meet someone, all that stuff comes down. You're relaxed. Because you're not, it's not a long-term relationship, so it's all relaxed. The second it becomes a long-term relationship, all these defense mechanisms go up. So the sex shuts down. That's why that initial phase of relationship can be so delicious. Right? Sex is great, you're talking, you're sharing. Then all of a sudden it stops. It's not because you get bored with the person. Because now the ego is feeling threatened. When it's for a weekend, when it's for a week, when it's for a month, it's safe. Everything's out in the open. It's not that we get bored with the person. You can actually dig deeper and deeper and deeper. That part takes work not to shut down. So our sex stops at a certain level. Our talking stops at a certain level. And people go to a place that's comfort. Some people will just have sex. That's their relationship. Sex is good for like three, four years. But then it'll break up all of a sudden. And they thought the sex was intimacy. It's not. So if it's important, go into it. Or right? if it's important, make time for it. But this, Not for everyone. No, I, I treat people who have sexual dysfunction. I used to treat a vet that had his whole Johnson blown up, stepping on a landmine. No, 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 but it's not. No, 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 no. It's, but he had a very intimate relationship. It didn't involve, it involved a different kind of sexuality, but it had come up to the heart center. Ideally, in a relationship, you have three things. You have the mind, you have the heart, you have your sexual organs. Usually one or two of these connect, you're doing pretty good. Three, woo. So there's different ways to connect. Some people really connect intellectually. Some people it's heart and intellect. Some people it's sex and heart. Some people, that's more rare. It's usually heart and sex. But one of these three, two of these three. And develop them. So if you have great sex and you really intellectually connect with the person, work on opening your heart center with them. How do you do that? Be vulnerable. If you really are great talkers and your hearts are open to each other, you never have sex, work on that. Pull that in. But we dissociate because we don't want to be intimate. The reason people go on porn isn't just because porn is this or porn is that. Yeah, it's a drug. It's very common when you're actually feeling vulnerable that you actually split the energy because your ego starts getting threatened. Understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you really feel sensitive with someone. Man, it's a great relationship. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm looking at his best friend. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm masturbating when I didn't masturbate all these years. Because you don't want to give it all up. It's too, too scary, too dangerous. So when that comes up, you you, you, sit with it? you sit with it, you call it out, you examine it, do a couple session. If you're really courageous, share it with your partner. But that also means that you don't have a partner that's crazy. Because sometimes we just do that and our partner isn't ready to hear that. So maybe it's not the best thing. Like, oh, I just almost fucked your best friend. Like, that's not really because you don't want to feel the guilt. So you just throw it on you. Like, well, what the hell is that? Be clean because it's about you. It's not about the other person. Be in integrity, but you're not perfect. Give yourself a slack. When you give yourself too much slack, pull it up a little tighter. When you're pulling it too tight that it's choking, you give yourself a little bit of slack. There's no hard and fast rules. You know when you're full of shit. You know when you're aligned. Listen to yourself. What if you can't, um, what if realities are different? I guess it's the mind. And you can't see each other's realities. But to ourselves, it's, it's very true when we're being honest about it. You can be in relationship, it makes it a lot harder. You can be in relationship, but it can make it harder. 
at the same time, if you can really let it go, it can be okay. My wife doesn't give a damn about racing, cars, bikes, doesn't care. That's like been my life since I was little. Doesn't give a damn about martial arts or anything. That's my life. She's a photographer, she's an artist, that's her thing, documentary. I really couldn't give a shit about photography. I can appreciate photographs. I don't really care about cameras. And this. We're very different people on that level. I'm outgoing, I, I like things with speed, fast. She's so mellow, sit back. Very different worldviews. She's got a bit of a new agey bent to her. I'm very like realist, blah, blah, blah. We don't try to change each other, then it's okay. But we agree not to get on each other's face. Now, if she says something that's out of line, I'm like, you know what, that just sounds bullshit. That's not my experience. But I won't judge her for it. If I'm doing something that's so crazy, she's like, you gotta calm down, man. You're just being too crazy. So you don't have to be with the same person. You don't learn a lot. A lot of the people go look for their clone. You don't learn a lot from your clone. Does it help that you have the same interests? Sure, some, but you don't want to be bent at the hips. But the reality is... There's only one reality. Navigating the way that our world. So right. I, for me, it's a, a promotion primarily, and for him, it's intellect. Okay. And that's where we learn. Well, there's one reality, like there's not one reality, obviously infinite ways of looking at the one reality. The question is, where can you match and meet each other? So that's just one aspect of it. So if you're making love, is he thinking about something and you're emotionally connected? If you're eating dinner, is he thinking about the meal and you're feeling? There are places where you're meeting, right? But there are relationships that anything can work. They're just some things that are a lot more work. Do you know what I mean? I can get on my new bike, ride it. I don't got to work on it. I can drive my 74 Alpha. I guarantee I'll pull over twice to fix something. I can get... Somewhere with both of them. One's more work. But the alpha is actually a lot of fun and it's pleasurable. I don't mind the work on it. So are you getting enough out of it to make it worthwhile the extra work? And examine what part of your unconscious is choosing someone that has those differences. This is not a coincidence this person's in your life. What part of you was attracted initially? And even if you want to let it go, if you let it go without examining it, you will repeat it in a different guise. Does that answer your question? Last question. Make it quick. We've got to go. Okay. The clone. A lot of people are looking for their clone. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a form of narcissism? That is narcissism. Where you're going to be reassured because yes. you found somebody exactly like you. Yes. Reassured even if you're a